Take the Manga Mavericks 2021 podcast survey. That's right. It's that time of year again for us to poll our listeners about what their favorite episodes of our show were last year, their favorite guests, and what they want us to cover in 2022, and who they want to see on the show this year. All that and more you can vote on, you can suggest to us in our 2021 podcast survey. And as a special treat, we are also doing a giveaway for everyone who takes the survey, where six lucky winners are going to be able to win a book of their choice for a selection of titles curated by myself and Colton that includes multiple volumes of Banana Fish, the first one in several series like My Solo Exchange Diary, Way of the House Husband, Video Girl Eye, Golden Conway, and more, and of course, a collection of Backlog Shonen Jump issues, and the MHA World Heroes Mission theatrical giveaway booklet manga. So many great prizes are available through our giveaway, and the only way to get them is to take our podcast survey. You still got about two weeks to poll closes on February 13th, and we are really looking forward to reading out your responses, and we hope you look forward to listening to them in our traditional podcast survey episode. But that's enough promotion for now, so let's get back to the podcast proper and our letters roundtable. This is the Manga Mavericks Podcast, episode 187. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Lon Ramiyasha, and today's our red letter day because we have assembled a veritable team of men of letters, people of letters, people well versed in the art of manga lettering. That's right, we have had so many great manga letters on our show before. And it was about time we dedicated a podcast all about the craft. And we've assembled an incredible team of folks on the show to talk about lettering today. We have returning guests, Ace Chrisman, Letter of World Trigger, Black Clover, Poon Poon, and so many more. We have Brandon Bovia, Letterer of Kaiju Number 8, Dragon Ball Super. And the Transformers, the manga, and so many more. We have good friend Aiden, letterer of Otaku Elf, and School Zone Girls, and Toki, and so much more. And we have first-time guest on the show, the queen of letters herself, Sarah Lindsley, who on the show, letterer of Sweat and Soap. Don the Don, and so many more titles. We have just an incredible team of letterers on the show all about talking about lettering the craft of it how to get into it favorite fonts the state of the craft and the industry it is a fantastic conversation that lasts a long long time and gets super <laughs> deep in depth on the nitty-gritty of the craft and it just is a joy to listen to 
And I think you guys will really enjoy listening to it and we'll get a lot out of it. Oh yeah, this was uh this was definitely something that we've been wanting to do for at least a year. <laughs> something that we had been planning for but kind of had to push back every once in a while here, but I'm I'm really glad we got around to it because uh hey, you're probably going to hear this a lot in our discussion, but uh letterers are important and integral to localized manga. So appreciate them while you can. When you can, I should say. Absolutely. I feel like that makes it sound like letters are going to like disappear or something. I didn't mean it like that. But yeah, I also had a lot of fun with this discussion. It was so much fun just having really, I think, some of the best letters in the business on our show, like all at the same time. Like I, I thought that was really, really cool. And I'm really glad we got to do that. But yeah, before we get into that, we do have a few things to kind of talk about at the top of the show. First thing we want to mention is that we have a new patron at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. Welcome to our newest patron, Ace, Ace Stone in particular. And yeah, we really just wanted to uh, give you a shout out and let you know how much we really appreciate you becoming a patron and supporting us on our Patreon. Yes, much appreciated. Thank you so much. Yes, yes. And once again, for those who don't know, when you sign up for our Patreon at any tier, no matter how much you give us, we will shout you out on the show and give you our undying gratitude because we really appreciate anyone who takes the time to support us at any level with any amount. Your patronage really means the world to us. And because, you know, without your support, we wouldn't be able to do really cool stuff in or out of our Patreon. So once again, thank you, Ace, for signing up for our Patreon. And, you know, once again, you could sign up for our Patreon as well at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. So we have a lot of cool stuff there. We'll go over it at the end of the show. But yeah, please sign up if you can. But also real quick, we haven't had the chance to mention that both Lum and I have been on, have done guest spots for a particular podcast that we both enjoy. And that is the Over Manga Cast. Another fellow manga podcast that uh, do their own kind of read-throughs of any particular series. I just got into them a little while ago, and I've been really enjoying their uh, their stuff. And we both got to be on an episode, on our own separate episode, I should say. And uh, I just want to shout out my episode real quick, where I got to be on to talk about Mashal in particular. We talked about the first 39 chapters of Mashal basically the first arc, and uh, it was a lot of fun. I've been really enjoying Mashal lately, and so I'm just glad I got to kind of talk about Mashal somewhere, you know, somewhere that's not, not on our own podcast, you know? And it was a lot of fun. I definitely hope to be on again at some point, and uh, if you want to hear how I feel about Mashal in particular, you should go listen to that episode. It was very fun, but uh, Love, you also got to be on an episode if you want to talk about that one real quick. Yes, I was brought on to talk about Mermaid Saga, the classic horror anthology manga from Rumiko Takahashi. I had been in the mood to revisit some of the Takahashi manga that I don't discuss as frequently recently, and Mermaid Saga was a great fit for me and the crew of Ormond Cast, and we talked about the entirety of the series, and a very great, fun podcast where we talked about like all the cool 
different iterations Takashi has on the premise and some of the most wild stuff in there and how Takashi creates immortal characters, especially my favorite mermaid, Scar, with Masato. We had a lot of fun talking about that story in particular. And yeah, it was a great deal of fun to revisit Mermaid Saga and get to talk about it with people who are coming into the story fresh and hearing Ooh. what they got out of it. And yeah, like I had a lot of fun. And so if you enjoy me talking about Takashi series and want me to talk about one of her underrated but a cult favorite, a classic favorite of hers, definitely listen to our convo on Mermaid Saga on the podcast. It was a great time. And I'd love to return on the show again to talk about whatever more series, including especially Takashi series in the future. Mm-hmm. Just in general, go listen to Over Manga Cast. They have episodes on series like My Hero Academia, Dragon Ball, Chainsaw Man, Don the Don. You know, they, they cover a lot of really interesting stuff too, not just manga, but also like random web comics and stuff too. Those episodes are usually pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Scoob and Shag. Yes. <laughs> I have never read that comic before, but it was so much fun listening to them talk about it because it, it sounds like a wild ride. Scoob and Shag. That's definitely something I need to check out at some point. I think also at the time of this recording, they just released an episode on Blue Giant, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. And yeah, go listen to them. If you if you want even more manga podcasting, over Manga Cast is a good show to listen to, so definitely go listen in. We'll leave a link in the show notes for both of our episodes if you guys are interested in checking us out on other podcasts. But yeah, I guess with all that out of the way, we should get right into our discussion, huh? Indeed. It is time to lay down the letter of the law and head into our letter-perfect discussion. Our Letterer's Roundtable. We all know manga is translated from Japanese to English, but do you ever think about how the actual text is placed on the page and who puts it there? It doesn't magically just appear out of thin air already on the page. Bada bing bada boo, manga letters are the folks responsible for putting the words you read on the page. That's not always an easy task, as lettering is more than just fitting words into bloom, which is hard enough in of itself, but requires a lot of creativity and ingenuity to replicate the feel of the original text with creative solutions and hand-drawn effects, even cleaning, touching up, and redrawing the original artwork. We've had several manga letters on to discuss their work on the show before. Uh, today is a very special day because we brought on a team of some of the very best in the business to spell out what a manga letter does and lay down the letter of the law for us for a letter-perfect walkthrough of the art process and career of manga lettering. Joining us on this Red Letter Day are returning special guests, longtime lettering enthusiast and breakout letterer Aiden, letterer of Otaku Elf, School Zone Girls, and Starfruit Books' recently released Toki. We got Final Fantasy XV Core Enthusiast Ace Crispin, letterer of Black Clover, Royal Trigger, and Goodnight Poon Poon, among many others. The hashtag legend himself, the prince among lettering Brandon Bovia, letterer of Kaiju Number 8, Dragon Ball Super, Snow White with the Red Hair, and several others. And we're so pleased to welcome to the show for the first time a real lettering maverick. If Brandon's a prince, Sarah's a queen. That's right, we have Sarah Lindsley on the show. Letter of Sweat and Soap, That Wolf Boy is Mine, and Shonen 
Jump Plus's fresh new hit, Dawn to Dawn. Thank you guys so much for joining us for our Letters Roundtable to go over Wait. the art and craft of manga lettering. Did I just get outranked? I helped on on uh, Don to Don, so I guess I am. You know, Sarah is at the top, and I am just I am the the, the prince helping out. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I mean, you're both regents. You're both lettering royalty, and no one can take that away from you. I, I was gonna say, Brandon's just like you dare approach me. <laughs> You're getting very close to Brandon. <laughs> but yeah, this is so exciting. We've been wanting to do a round table uh, on manga lettering for a while. I mean, we've had some of you guys on before to talk about your work in manga lettering, especially Brandon and Ace. And Aiden, you've gushed a ton about lettering on the show in the past. And now we're so excited to also talk about your recent work, you know, breaking in this year and working on so many great titles. And Sarah, I mean, we've been following your work for a while, both your series and both your threads on Twitter and then your tutorials, your guides. Like, it's so exciting to have real experts on lettering like you guys on the show to talk about it with us. Yeah. Hi, y'all. Yeah, I'm really excited. I've been a fan of the podcast for a while, so oh, oh excited. My God, Sarah's a fan thank of you so much. <laughs> ah, I can't. I can't take it. <laughs> well, that's an honor. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, we want to you know address your guys' background in lettering. Before we even get into that, I kind of want to define what is lettering in comics. What's the job of a letterer? And in your opinion, what makes for good lettering and bad lettering? Um, I'll, oh. I'll, I'll take this one to, to start off with. Um, yeah. So lettering is, uh, for manga, it's placing the, uh, the text, narration, anything like that, sometimes the titles, and replacing the Japanese sound effects with English sound effects or subtitling them. And I mm -hmm. would say good lettering is when you don't notice it. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see that. I'd also, I'd also not to not to say that that's not right, but also I'd say good lettering is stuff that doesn't distract because I think sometimes mm -hmm. you yeah. do really want to notice it, but when it's something that kind of takes away from the intended storytelling that that like the the writer or an artist want you to have, then then it can be more yeah uh, bad. Yeah, it should yeah. flow with with the uh, the comic itself. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, if you know nothing about lettering and you're like, hmm, this doesn't look great, that's definitely bad lettering. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think a notable example of this on the show, and maybe this is an example you're going to bring up, Colton, was the earlier lettering in Saint Seiya, which... I was I just thinking yeah. that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you're not alone in that, because uh, recently I've been listening to some folks get into St. Sia, and they also commented on that early lettering and how it often obscures some of the art and makes it harder to read. And I think that's a uh, important distinction, is good lettering complements the art and helps the readability rather than yeah. hinders or distracts from it. If it's hard mm -hmm. to read, that's like... Yeah, that's like the, the world's biggest no-no. I think there there are a lot of... There are a lot of like little things, a lot of rules or a lot of um, best practices or a lot of like publisher style guides. But I think it's all if it's not serving the comic and if it's not, you know, like if it's not in service of being easy to read that I like that is the 
that is the goal that we should all be striving for. Yes. Mm-hmm. I was also going to say, just in terms of like, I feel like just the state of manga lettering in general, as, as someone who's been reading manga for over a decade at this point, you know, I could definitely say for sure that I think we're in a very good place in terms of like the quality of lettering for for all publishers, I think, because, you know, not not just Saint Seiya, but I, but I feel like back around then, back around like the early, basically around the aughts, you know, kind of yeah. up to the late aughts, I, I, I feel like lettering from that time period, I'm not going to say it's like all bad, but there's definitely some series where I kind of like look back and and just kind of think, wow, we are like in a much better place in terms yeah. of like the overall quality of like the lettering jobs that we see yeah. from like not just Viz, but like different publishers altogether. So, yeah, yeah. I think the uh, the digital transition was definitely mm-hmm. like a everybody kind of having to relearn the tools and stuff, especially mm-hmm. tied. Yeah, yeah. A, a big boom in availability and how many series were being brought over at that point in time as well. There are tons of people joining the industry without having the tons of resources to learn how to do things yeah like you just looking at any uh tokyo pop release from that era is like flipping <laughs> a coin <laughs> yeah 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 oh, yeah the transition from like 90s hand lettered manga into tokyo pop <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a steep decline yeah yeah um, yeah i haven't read a lot of Tokyo Pop stuff, admittedly, but I remember when we were uh, reading GTO to cover on the show, <laughs> there were definitely times where, like, you know, I was reading this and just being, and just like, there were a lot of pages where, like, uh, whoever was lettering on that series clearly had to, like, erase the art around, like, the text or whatever. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, it's, that stuff in particular is just, like, Again, it's I, a I don't want to, yeah. whether they actually retouch it or they leave it as is. There's plenty of stuff in <laughs> yeah, old Tokyo yeah. Pop releases that yeah, they like, don't like, translate. Like, I would say, like, like, I have one random volume of their old Fruits Basket release that my friends mm-hmm. gave me as a joke years and years ago. And <laughs> when I opened it, I, I saw that Darren Bennett was the letterer, and Darren Bennett is now the letterer who works on Taiyo Matsumoto stuff, and it's some of the absolute best looking lettering you can get out there so they had good talent it was just all a matter of resources and knowledge and things at the yeah. time yeah. yeah yeah especially with especially with tokyo pop they just wanted to get that stuff out fast like i don't yeah. know if they really cared about the quality of their stuff necessarily you know yeah and unfortunately yeah. we sort of are seeing the same thing happening with kadansha digital <laughs> we'll get that later this <laughs> 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 might be repeating itself a little bit oh no <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, we also touched upon this, but, I mean, in general, what do you consider the main differences between lettering for a Western comic, or, like, a homegrown comic published in North America, or versus a worldwide manga, like a manga that's being taken from Japan, originally with Japanese text, and then being redone for English? Hmm. Uh, I guess I'll take this one. Uh, I'll say compromise. <laughs> Compromises <laughs> uh, tends to be the the name of the game when it comes to working on manga. A uh, big difference, I think, a huge, huge thing is that most manga artists, the materials that we receive from Japan, have the stuff like the sound effects and the word balloons just like hard baked into the art. So mm. there is a very specific way, in a very specific order, in a very specific placement that the manga reads in Japanese and 
lettering something for an English localization is mostly working within those constraints. And it's not to say that Western comics don't have their own constraints. Because, you know, like, from my understanding, Letterverse for uh, a lot of our comics are, like, having to deal with, um, like, they're making the word balloons themselves, they're making the the flow of the word balloons themselves, how, how it flows across the page, and that has to that has to fit within the confines of the art that has already been drawn. But we are, we are working within an even stricter confine of like the word balloons are there and that's it. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, um, and for for more like uh, Western comics, I I can't say often, but I do know that some of the teams that work on them will communicate so they can be like okay you know like i want the bubbles over here and so they can work together a little bit more so yeah yeah it gives them a little bit more freedom than what we get yeah. which is yeah make it work <laughs> yeah pretty much <laughs> can you imagine getting to draw your own word balloons like getting to pick the shape i think about that all the time <sighs> oh, <laughs> I <laughs> interesting i tried it once recently it's hard i like I mean, I, I, there are definitely the restrictions of working on manga but one thing i can say that i appreciate is i don't have to draw the word balloons i can trust someone else to do it better than i can yeah, I, I had to redraw some word balloons for some specific series and i'm like oh goodness yeah i'm bad at this I'm very, I'm very unskilled. <laughs> it's a fine hand and a good sense of spatial control to know where to place them. But yeah, I mean, it is an interesting thing that with, you know, English manga lettering and localization, it is not as like collaborative with the original artist, but it is like you have to work around what the artist has already put on the page. Yeah. And then figure out a way to kind of replicate their intent, but with English text rather than the Japanese characters. That's it. Yeah, it's such an interesting and creative challenge, but I'm curious, and we've talked about this with some of you guys before, namely Ace and Brandon, but to go over it again, like, where did you guys get your start as letters, and how did you really get into this profession? Uh, I'll go since I'm new. (laughs) I got into it in college because I was extremely lost and I was applying to every internship that I possibly could. And the 12-year-old in me was like, oh my god, there's a manga internship. You have to apply to it. And so I got that internship with Kodansha Comics. And then at the end of the internship, they were like, do you want to try lettering? And I was like, what's that? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) So that's how I started working with Kodansha Comics. And I've been doing it ever since. Yeah, and it's only evolved from there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to talk about my early work. Let's, that doesn't exist. <laughs> no. I can't even remember the title's name. <laughs> but your current work is so amazing. God, it's so amazing. Thank you so mm-hmm. much. I'm sorry, I was just going to say, I really liked the work that you put into uh, I Tell C in particular. That was yeah. some really good stuff. Oh, oh my right. gosh. <laughs> It was very inspiring. I, I can go next with I. I got into manga like lettering during my time in college as well. I have a less glamorous, uh, I guess, entrance in the sense that I was involved with scanlations for a time, and that's not something that I would recommend to anyone now, since it's just it's going to make your life harder, and it's not going. It's just not the right thing to do, but. 
in the sense, in one sense, though, it is what got me interested in lettering as an aspect of manga rather than just manga itself. And from there, it was I practiced on my own stuff and then eventually reached out to publishers when they were uh, looking for letters. So that's how I was able to start getting going. Yeah, and it's been really cool to follow your journey on that. I mean, I remember like last year you were showing us some practice things you were doing just on your own to practice lettering. And then to see you now kind of break into the industry with so many cool new projects. Like I just recently read your work on Tokyo. It was really great, as well as your work on Schools and Girls and Otaku Elf. So yeah, it's just so exciting. And also, like, I don't know if you listened to the SNS episode with Phil Christie, but he commented on your letting you said you were, like, so <laughs> I, good. Like, I was so <laughs> embarrassed wow. listening to that episode because I, I, they, my name came up, like, four or five times. And I'm like, what? Phil's the one who needs all the praise for that. Man, his work on Die Dark is amazing. Oh, it's oh, so good. Yeah. Phil is incredible. Yeah, yeah. Man, you know, I was I was already really excited because I've said it before, like I I love the stuff that Starford Books, you know, brings out. But I mean like as soon as I saw that like you worked on one of their things, I was like, Oh, I gotta gotta buy that soon, huh? <laughs> yeah, I, that was a that was a great opportunity. I, I really appreciate being able to work on that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's such a wonderful problem to have when one, one of the letterers you look up to has something new come out and you're like, oh, well, I have to buy it. Okay. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Let me get my wallet out. <laughs> yeah, Aiden, you are a legend in the making. <laughs> Aiden, you got into this industry by being a really nice person. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you got into it by being a groupie and constantly <laughs> pestering you. Yeah. It works. <laughs> Actually, like, yeah, and that's 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 one of the things. Uh, talking talking to people that's one of the, the the best ways to actually find stuff out. Because despite the fact that I said like I was applied to publishers when they said they were hiring, I only knew that because I have friends who care about lettering and told me about that publishers were looking for people. So it's it's networking is yeah. a big thing. Networking is yeah. so important. Yeah. And you became known for your enthusiasm for lettering. Like mm-hmm. last year, you hosted the sweat workshop with Sarah and Phil and Brandon too on lettering. So it's yeah, like yeah. by putting yourself out there, people knew what you're all about, what you're interested in, and interested in doing. And yeah, it's just so yeah. great to see how far you've come. Opportunities uh, don't normally come out of nowhere. You know, like you have mm-hmm. to put yourself out there for that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm, for sure, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm definitely not buying Toki right now. (laughs) So I can read that later. (laughs) But Brandon and Ace, do you guys want to like recap your entrances into the industry as well? Like I know you guys have discussed this uh, before on the show, but just for folks who maybe are tuning in for the first time and haven't heard the stories before. Mm -hmm. Do you want to go first? Uh, Sure. Uh, so I, I'm the grandpa of the group. <laughs> <laughs> I also got into it when I was in college. Uh, Viz uh, was having uh, internships. They they still have internships, I believe. And now they're paid. So please, please try to get an internship with them if you can. They weren't paid when I was there. <laughs> oh, <same laughs> with a different uh, publisher. Oh, man. 
Uh, I have the the great fortune. I live in the San Francisco Bay Area, and Viz is in San Francisco, so it worked out. Somehow I got a design internship. I assume nobody else applied because my portfolio was not good. But one of the tasks I had was uh, lettering a couple of Naruto pages. And I remember going up to uh, Poncha Diaz, who still works there and is an amazing editor. Yeah. And being like, Poncha, do people do this for a job? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, <laughs> could I do this for a job? She's like, you could take the test. And I was like, okay. And so I did it. <laughs> my pages were terrible. But they're like, ah, it was good enough. We'll put you in the uh, in the file cabinet. <laughs> a couple months later, I, I started working on Ultimate Muscle. Please never look up the first, like, five or six volumes of that. Because... <laughs> Woo, God! Oh, well, I'm going to have to look at that on my <laughs> oh, shelf no, right don't now. Worry. Oh, I, boy. So I started on volume 11, which is, like, super out of print, and I don't think it's available digitally, so ha ha ha! Oh, nice. <laughs> oh, I think... Lost the history. It's probably kind of hard to find it now anyway, so hey, yeah. we're trying your favor. I yeah. think we managed to collect most of it. I want to see, is 11 one of the ones that we managed to get? But, oh, yeah. dear. Uh, yeah, you so... know, one of these days, Ace, we want to do Ultimate Muscle on his show. Oh, At least goodness. we learned and I do. I, I, I will say that, like, when I started on Ultimate Muscle, I was like, I hate the series. I hate the series so much. When I finished <laughs> Ultimate Muscle, I was so, so sad. I was like, no! My first baby! <laughs> But yeah, so that was uh, 16 years ago. Wow. Oh my gosh, I have volume 11. There you go. <laughs> Don't look at it. Don't look at it later. <laughs> oh god. I, I will tell you when, when I got my copy. I'm calling this off. This is unfair. <laughs> when, when I got my copy in, I started crying because it looked so bad and I was messaging my editor like, I'm so sorry. And she's like, it's Don't worry. Don't worry. It'll get better. I'm like, will it though? <laughs> it's a good thing this is an audio podcast. Podcast, we can't like show our listeners uh, how bad your work is. I'm just kidding. Unless you put it in the show notes or what kind of podcast are y'all running? Consolation. Some of the first books that I like read and noticed lettering in were like things that you had worked on, like uh, Good Night Pun Pun and uh, Children of the Whales, where I was seeing like the sound effects in them and going oh wow this is really really cool i like this mm. oh thank you it yeah. only took me a, a, a decade and a half <laughs> Ooh, now i'll have to go back and read through uh children of the whales again i didn't know you worked on that oh yeah that's that's one of my babies veteran <laughs> <laughs> babies yeah. no but yeah i mean your lettering is just so incredible now and it just goes to show like what a decade plus of like really honing your craft can do it's like you're one of the best in the biz and your work is <laughs> so amazing like not just on the simuls you do in the jump series but like yeah you when you've shown pages of like some of the asana stuff like you've done like poon poon and i think you did day to days as well yeah yeah i'm on day to day yeah like, it's some of the retouch you have to do on that with, like, these uber, like, meticulously drawn pages that you have to layer sound effects on oh, top God. of it, kind of. <laughs> like, those the, the panels like I've seen torture to do. Crazy. <laughs> Listeners, I, I'm the poster child for, wow, I have no skill at this. Oh, eventually you'll get somewhere. Meanwhile, the other three letterers here are like, 
Yeah, I just started as an S class letter. <laughs> uh, I didn't say that. <laughs> it took me five worry, plus years to you get to, to where I started. <laughs> yeah, Brandon, where did your legend begin? Oh, to become yeah. the well, legend um, trademark you are now. <laughs> Do we need to ask? Brandon came out of the womb a legend. I don't, I don't think. <laughs> you know, uh, the the hidden texts have described a story as such. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've been uh, a prince of lettering since birth, but uh, no, no, seriously. Keek and keyboard right out of the womb. He just dropped it from the computer and said, "Get the work. Retouch this manga right now." <laughs> and Brandon well, was like, "Goo Gaga." <laughs> well, I, I feel like to to properly get a full scope, um, and I don't know if I've if I've told the full story since the beginning, but like my my background is in art. Like I've been mm-hmm. I've been drawing um, since around like age I don't know eight or nine. That doesn't mean that I was good at it, <laughs> um, but for. A good chunk of my, like, grade school career, I was like, I'm going to become a comic artist. And, mm-hmm. you know, then starting in, like, middle school and high school, I started getting really into manga. And I was like, I want to draw my own manga. And I started just, like, uh, you know, I would collaborate with, like, my friends. And we would write stories and just try to, like, emulate the manga that we were reading at the time, more or less. And, you know, like, I was trying really hard to, like really capture the essence of what I was reading at the time, which was mostly like Shonen Jump. And when it came to like creating a finished page, I was I was getting down to the point where I was like cross-referencing what I was seeing in the volumes of manga that I was reading. Like just like, okay, I know I'm also trying to capture the art, but I need to learn like how does the text work? How do I make something that is appealing to read? Um so you know I, I did all the research into like the kinds of fonts that comic letterers would use and stuff and just like through through doing it and through reading and studying manga i i sort of i guess like filled out my taste if if that makes any sense like i got i got an eye for what i think good lettering looks like and uh it was just through drawing comics that i sort of developed that and then sort of on a whim i applied uh i think uh, seven seas put out a a call for letterers, and that was back in like 2016. And I, I had long since drawing, I'd stopped drawing comics by that point. This was, uh, I was like college dropout <laughs> at that point. But I was like, ah, yeah, sure, I, I sort of know how that works. I'll, I'll give it a shot. And then I took the test and passed it. And uh, the, the first series I did for them for, for Seven Seas is uh, Akashic Records of Bastard Magic Instructor, which is still going. The manga just ended in Japan. We're about to wrap up the last few volumes here finally. But yeah, pretty much since uh, 2017, I've just been just picking up projects. It never, it seems to never stop. <laughs> uh, there's, there's, there's never a lack of manga to work on. Did you work on uh, Miss Black General, or was that someone else? That was me. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I knew there was a reason. I had a couple volumes of that. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That was, um, God, that was my. I think that was uh, in that was like late 2017 when I started working on that. So it was still my. That was still my first year, and what a what a project to get handed to you. I think that was my second or third project for Seven Seas, and like, uh, no, no, no shade to Akashic Records, but it's a fairly fairly easy manga to work on. Like, you know, they're, they're, it's fairly dialogue heavy, but there's not a lot of not a lot of sound effects. I, f- I feel like it's pretty 
I think it's a great it was a great starter manga for me. Um and okay. then Black General is just like just consistently even now, four years later, it is probably my hardest series. <laughs> like, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> and they and they gave that to me just like, yeah, here you go. Oh <laughs> okay. So here's our hardest thing you can work on. Yeah, I think I think wow. you you get to see me grow a lot <laughs> through through that that's manga. So, that's how I felt when the like Two weeks after finishing my first volume for Seven Seas, they were like, hey, want to try out School Zone Girls? I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. It's like a, a school comedy. And then it just murdered me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like everybody has that one series where they just get it and you're just like, oh. <laughs> I was not ready for this. Sometimes the people who are giving out series don't always understand exactly how hard a series is. Oh, totally. Because oh, they've never lettered before. Yeah, yeah. And it's not like, I mean, it's neither here nor there, but I have noticed that. Yeah. Mm. And I will say that I appreciate that the editor who I've worked with has been very understanding on how hard that, that book was. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. And it's so interesting. Like, definitely probably having harder projects like early on especially definitely encourages to figure out you know uh, troubleshooting problem solving solutions things to figure out how to do better the next time so interesting to get those curveballs thrown out at you so early on yeah, yeah. i um i i think if i can uh one, one really good thing about getting a hard project thrown at you when you when you have the proper time and resources to be able to to make a good product out of it is that like I think one thing that we maybe don't talk about enough in like the the manga lettering sphere is like your problem solving skills <laughs> and so <laughs> when you get a really hard project and and when you do have like the the proper time to figure it out like you sort of figure out a system that works best for you and I am always trying to figure out how to improve my processes how to work faster and better and and people everybody will come up with their own solution but yeah. i think it's really it's really important to keep that stuff in mind of like if you notice that something is taking a long time there's probably a way to do it faster mm -hmm. without like sacrificing quality yeah i feel like i'm at a point where i've like automated so much of the process that the only thing that takes me forever is retouching and sound effects, and there's yeah. no way to make it faster and keep the same level of quality that I've been putting out. So, yeah. yeah, there there are some things that you <laughs> there's no cheats for. It's just gotta grind it out. Yeah, it's like okay, dialogue placement, dialogue formatting got a labyrinthine combination of keyboard shortcuts to to figure <laughs> stuff out. But, oh yeah, that I could never I could never tell you what those keyboard shortcuts are. I just do them. <laughs> it's muscle but, memory. But then sound effects and everything, that's that's the killer. <laughs> I sometimes put tutorials on Twitter and I'll record my screen and I I try to use the UI. I try to like right click copy and like use the menu and use like the <laughs> the toolbar. But that's not how I letter normally and I'm only doing it to show people exactly what I'm doing. But it's so like I don't know. I don't know where this tool is on the toolbar. I never <laughs> use it. It's this key command. Just use this key command. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's right. Just press Control. Do my lettering for me, and it'll yeah. all be done. <laughs> yeah. If you if you record your own macros, then this becomes really <laughs> <Yep>. fast. <laughs> what you don't have a lettering button on your keyboard? 
You know, <laughs> don't tell people. A lot of editors <laughs> I've worked with seem to have think seem to think that there is a magical lettering button. <laughs> it's just copying and pasting. Yeah. <laughs> They just think that you have every font all prepared, and all you have to do is just like press a key, and it all gets placed in the balloons in just the right way, including all the SFX. Yeah, yeah. I take my magic wand out then, and just like wave it around, and poof. Yeah, that's why, that's why it's magic. <laughs> yes. When I do you get your magic wand? Is that after a decade? That's a decade. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, you, you, it is, but it's only because it's made out of your own blood, sweat, and tears. So <laughs> yeah, you have to wait for it to kind of like congeal and harden. Oh. <laughs> I do not recommend. And it, it only gets a couple uses and then it breaks and you gotta start all over again. So I, I don't recommend. <laughs> no, but yeah, you you need to build up like skills over time that'll help you in efficiency. And I think it's uh, there's always going to be things that'll you know, definitely take a lot of time to do in, like, uh, any group of, like, if you can figure out what will help in reducing time of, like, tasks that don't need to take as much time and so that you have more time to do the things that, you know, are a little more uh, intensive, then that's always, like, a good thing to find, to figure out where you can streamline your process a little bit. And, like, yeah. Sarah, like, your InDesign scripts and your shortcuts in, in your tutorials, I think you do a great job in like identifying like how to do the process really efficiently so that when you have to do like the really hard stuff you have like the time uh to do it i don't know yeah. how i ever survived without serious scripts <laughs> <laughs> yeah so my background is actually in software i have a degree in computer science so whenever i started doing this full time especially I noticed that there were a lot of things that I was doing over and over and over again, just repetitive actions. And every person who's written software looks at that and they're like, I got to automate this. I have to. So <laughs> I spent a lot of time writing these scripts in an ancient version of JavaScript. <laughs> thanks, Adobe. Yeah. <laughs> thanks. Thanks, Adobe. <laughs> I have many words. I have so many words. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Adobe we'll, is like... We'll get to We that. hate it, but it's something that if you're trained in it, you can't do without it. I, I have a computer science degree as well. That's what I do for my, my primary job, since I, I do lettering as like a, a second job that I just kind of enjoy despite how much it can stress me out at times. <laughs> but the I definitely have I've piggybacked off of some of the scripts that Sarah and some other of our friends have worked on and developed some of my own to, to help me work out there. And there's totally that that instinct of, well, I know that there are some there's some weird arcane combination of things going on here that I could probably automate and I've spent a lot of time making scripts for that. And it's it's nice and fulfilling. Even if it only saves me a few minutes later down the road. I'm lazy and I like the computer to do things for me. <laughs> <laughs> That's what computers yeah, are for. <laughs> but no, it's great that, Sarah, that you made also these resources for other people to use to help them along in their lettering journeys as well and in their work as well. I think that's just a great service to like the entire lettering community. Yeah, um, some advice I definitely have for anybody getting into 
lettering who like you don't have a process yet, I would really recommend you try using my scripts. Some of them take a long time to get set up because you're assigning them to like each individual key on your keyboard, but it's it's really worth it. Once you develop that muscle memory, it'll save you so much time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But if you're already lettering and you don't want to use scripts, I respect that decision. <laughs> <laughs> it's so awesome that you were able to take your background in software development and apply it into lettering in such a awesome kind of transformative way. But it's also true for like all you guys. All you guys have like very interesting, diverse backgrounds and paths into the profession of manga lettering. And well, I think we sort of addressed this, but in general, like with these skills and backgrounds, do you think that in different ways they've helped you thrive as letters? And also, like what general skills do you think aspiring letters should have a background in going into the profession? Uh, so my background is in graphic communication, which at college we'd always joke, it's like being a designer, but we actually get jobs. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh my god. Got him. That's a burn on all other arts. <laughs> students. So, so everybody, graphic communication, do it. <laughs> no, <laughs> graphic communication is, is less on the art side of design and more on the everything else design, like mm. the typography and the selling and the printing. Like, like I have a background in using most large presses. Like I, I know how a newspaper press works. I know how to, Ooh. how a six color Heidelberg works. I know how to flexography, gravure, you know, like, so working in manga is, is kind of just like an easy continuation because like, it's my background is, is printing basically. So that's really helped me with a lot of stuff, especially starting out when they're talking about like, Oh, well this might get, you know, uh, eaten by the gutter. Well, like, yeah, I, I know what that is because we had to print stuff with, you know, with a gutter. And, you know, like, so it, it really helped me because it gave me a foot up on a lot of the terminology and how things will work when things are printed. Mm -hmm. But I, I would say, like, skills you want, definitely know your, <sighs> sigh, Adobe Suite. <laughs> in design especially it. you don't have to use photoshop you can use like csp you might be able to use procreate if you're if you're really good but uh mm. you know csp is a good a really good program to use instead of photoshop and it's way but, cheaper yes it's <laughs> yeah. way more cheaper versatile i yeah, think it's a lot smarter. more stable it doesn't give you mm. a lot of the interesting problems that Photoshop, <laughs> uh, but you Very really do need to know InDesign. Yeah, that mm -hmm. InDesign the is the one. industry standard. Unfortunately, there is no way around that right now. So if you know that, if you know a editing program, a uh, visual editing program like Photoshop or CSP, and then just uh, yeah, I mean those those are the programs you want to know. Um, have a good eye for. Uh, you know, balance, I guess, with your text. More something you develop than you just uh, just have, but... Yeah. yeah the, the balance thing is something that it sounds trite, and I don't know how to say it in any better way, but just, yeah, just look at stuff that you think looks visually pleasing and balanced and try to uh, to understand what type of 
ways like sentences are being broken up and words are being stacked and how sound effects take up space on a page and and like direct the flow of reading and and artwork and try to understand that all and also like sim- like on a similar idea of what Ace mentioned with printing understanding how most manga is going to be printed in just a single color of ink so you're only ever going to want to have black or white in your finished image file rather than gray so yeah. understanding how your your retouch and the the elements that you might have to draw should be prepared with the intention that they will be converted to just black and white if they're in grayscale yeah mm-hmm. also read a lot of comics yes <laughs> it's the best way to get a feel for what good lettering is it's just read, read a lot of comics. You get too interested in lettering because then you're gonna have less time to read them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, you still can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and especially like once you do become proficient in lettering and you pick up a book, you will start uh, probably analyzing every lettering choice made in the book because now you know how this option is made. <laughs> you can't turn it off. Please you know? help. <laughs> yeah. One of the reasons why I do I know some other people do this too. We mostly read manga. If we read it, we read it lettered by somebody that we know does really good work. That way it's not like, oh, they messed up here. It's like, oh, she did such a good job right here. <laughs> and and you know you're gonna get high quality lettering. So Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then that's also an interesting thing is that you know, maybe in order to help learn, you study from the best. You study from letters you really admire and, like, look at Darren how Bennett. they... Yeah. 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 Liz Blakesley. Sabrina Heap. Evan mm-hmm. Hayden. <laughs> <laughs> Brandon Vopia. Oh, oh, I see. Oh, yeah. oh, Sarah Lindsley. <laughs> I wanted to say, I think one thing uh, that's also really important is that if you see a... um. If you see a manga with like like or even a comic just like with good lettering, it's really easy to just like look up that letterer and then go read the other stuff that they worked on. And then you sort of get to see like I guess you get you start to get a better sense of their style. And then on top of that, if they're a letterer that works for like a lot of different publishers, you can sort of get the feel for like, you know, what choices are being made for what publisher, like how the style guides differ, you know, what what is consistent among the the manga that that publisher releases and like where are the differences like like what what part of the lettering is this person's style versus the style guide and of course when when you start working professionally you're gonna get a style guide and you're gonna have to follow it you know that's all all hail the mighty style guide Um, (laughs) but (laughs) um i think it's it's good to be aware, I guess, as like if you're somebody trying to break in, like be- being aware of the things that people may or may not be in control of, just in terms of like what you see consistently. You know, compare and contrast. Yeah, it mm-hmm. might take a long time to build up a relationship with a publisher, with an editor, for them to let you to make all of these like big decisions that you think letterers are making. I mean, when you look at any given volume of manga, you, like Brenda was talking about, you really have no idea what was a conscious decision by the letterer, and it takes 
looking at the lettering like very analytically like this book is using wild words is that because the letterer wanted to or is it because <laughs> this is a yen press book and they use wild words for like everything yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, it it, makes it very. It, it, it's been neat where it's like, oh, I, I, I know this person's lettering. I'll check out this book they did. It's the first they've done with this publisher. Oh, okay, I can tell that they're brushing up against this style guide because it's, it just doesn't look as nice as some of their other stuff. And I, I know it's not their fault this time. Yeah, <laughs> I even, I'll, I'll even add that I don't. It's not even necessarily the fault of the style guide. Like that's, I think, in a lot of cases. They're there maybe because of where we came from for like where where the quality of lettering was at like ten, fifteen, twenty years ago. So it, it definitely helps a lot in terms of like consistency of quality. But you know, I, I feel like as a letterer and as somebody personally invested in like seeing new and interesting approaches to work, I'm like, man, I wish this was unique, but also from from the perspective of a publisher or like, you know, like management, it's like, you got to keep the stuff coming out and you got to keep it at like a baseline level of looking good. So it, yeah. it's one of those things. Or I guess maybe as like a creator, I'm like, man, I wish I could flex my muscles a little bit. But also you can't flex your muscles on every book and you got to you got to learn how to work as a team. I feel like a lot of those style guides themselves were also defined around 15 or so years ago when, <laughs> when, we, when yeah. we were lamenting the fact that it was the Wild West of digital lettering and people were doing whatever they wanted. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely the style guides, especially if you pick up like a series from a publisher that's already in progress, you have to keep with the previous letterer's choices. Oh, oh yeah. So, so I've I've picked up some where it's a font that like I have told people never never use this font. Like the kerning <laughs> on it is so bad, you know, I have to spend an extra several hours going through and kerning stuff back in. Please never use this font. And then they're like, "Hey, you want to fill in on this?" I'm like, "Sure." No. No. Yeah. Oh, We're all like trying to guess which font is it. There's the <laughs> um... <laughs> Uh, and then, like, I was going to say, there's a special kind of horror of like agreeing to pick up a series, and then you look at it, look at it, and you just go, "Oh no!" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah th this I'm one was with this. <laughs> something. I I had a lot of back and forth with the editor. Like, please, like, I get it. We'll keep that font as the main font, but like the aside font is really not to my taste. Really not an aside font. Uh, can we use something else? And we went back and forth, and it yeah. it finally got to a point where I was like almost ready to put a pen name on the book because I was like, <laughs> these font choices <laughs> oh are gosh. really not to my taste. I didn't in the end, um, but goodness, it's it's hard, man. It's hard sometimes. Wow. But uh, like I think Sarah was saying, um, once you you know like. After a while, working with the same publisher, working with the same editors, like, you get a little more leeway. Like, I've got plenty of editors that I've worked with for years now, and I'll be like, hey, I'm going to change this sound effect. It's too long, so I'm going to, you know, instead of rumble all spelled out, it's just going to be R-M-B-L, okay? Yes, thank you. You know, like, we, cause, yeah. because we've worked <laughs> with each other so long, they trust me, mm -hmm. and, like, I know they're going to be okay with it. So, yeah. 
It's, Sometimes it's nice you can remove a while or two. Actually, a lot of times I don't even ask. <laughs> just, <laughs> depending on the series on and the editor, I'll just change it. Like they're not gonna. Yeah, yeah. I've got I've got one editor, and I'm like, I'll tell him later. I'm like, hey, I changed all these things. He's like, what up? I <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna incriminate myself on this podcast. I have no comments. <laughs> <laughs> I think sound effects are the the area where there's that's where I think the letters input can be really useful in that regard, especially when you're talking about stuff that's being replaced. So you can figure out like what can what might be able to help with the the spacing and like maybe changing a C to a K to help give it like a harder, more angular look like the original and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But um, to go back to sorry, go on. Oh, you can go. I'll go. Um, Sorry, to go back to style guides and advice for new letters, I think it's important to note that smaller, newer publishers probably don't have like really rigid rules, if any. So if that's something that you would like to do, then I would say definitely go for like indie publishers. Hello. Hello, Matt. Thank you for letting me do whatever I wanted to do on Toki. I am very pleased. Yeah, and indie publishers also are generally closer to the artists, so you might even get layered files. I've Ooh. heard they exist. That's... Hello, Matt. Thank you for letting me work on Toki where I got layered files. <laughs> the legends do exist. Wow. This is just an ad for Starfruit Books. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Matt. Like, <laughs> he deserves it. Like, that's awesome. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's you guys went into some really fascinating territory. This knocks out a few questions we had later, even. So, like, we got some interesting, like, uh, fan questions too that also were asking about specific skills, like, uh, they were interested in learning more about. Starting, we have one from Lagosmix who asked, like, they recently tried out typesetting and they found it really fun and they want to do it more. But they ask, like, what kind of things can you do to improve a typesetting? For me, basically practice. I mean, I know that's that's the most boring thing. If you want to do typesetting just with, like, a comic, maybe see if you can work with with an original artist or something. Be like, hey, can I, like, you know, do some typesetting for your comic? But if you want to do just like typography in general, what I like to do sometimes is kind of make up a project for myself. Like, I'm going to make a poster for this video game. That's, you know, like the type of poster you put up at a game shop or something like that. What style am I looking for? You know, oh, I want to I want to quote unquote advertise this TV show. What what would the ad look like? You know, like giving myself little projects so I have a variety and I can, you know, work with that in practice. Mm-hmm. And I think that also answers Darren's question about, like, what are some good ways to, to get practice? And yeah, just coming up with your, like, own projects to to yeah. figure, like, out. Yes, like, it's, it's a very hard thing to do without the kind of, like, the elephant in the room thing is, well, people get practice by doing scanlation. And again, I... I do not recommend that, but one thing that I was working on after that was I I just relettered stuff myself, so I took digital manga that I owned and I whited out the text and lettered it again myself. And I did a lot of that last year's like just things that I could do to practice and I think that helped me understand some of the differences because like I was seeing a Japanese or I was seeing the an English version of it that was already done, but I was able to 
test out different fonts on it and uh, test out different ways of doing sound effects, be it using subtitles or trying to replace them. And by doing mm-hmm. that, it allowed me to understand what different choices being made in a certain area could do to affect the, the outcome of, of a comic. Yeah. Yeah, you showed me in Wheelord some of those practice pages you did, like namely on Mushishi last year. It was so interesting to see how you were experimenting oh, yeah. with lettering and like, especially with having a comparison point to like the officially lettered product and like uh, how to how to just compare like things that you were working on with like how the letter of that series did it. It's, it's really, really cool. Yeah, I was just like, yeah, like I think, one of the things that I think I had the most fun with on that was doing the same chapter like four or five times, but with different fonts and mm-hmm. different different approaches to the sound effects because it, yeah, it just helped to highlight how, okay, if I was, I'll try doing this in the style of this one publisher or this other publisher based off of their different standards and seeing like the, just how, how it would turn out. Yeah. So uh, a practice method I, I would recommend is a lot of publishers, uh, Japanese publishers, will have digital chapters available. You can always just screen cap those or, you know, if they let you save the page, save them. And then you can work with that. Make up your own script. You know, you don't have to do it like a scanlation so much, but just like, you know, make up your own script to just show a publisher how you can balance the words and the bubbles you can do retouch on them you know just you know and you can use these for a portfolio if you're trying to get a job later you don't have to be like hey i worked in scanlations you can do your own on these random pages and just be like i got these from this site you know like i didn't steal the scans they're available here you know i use this for practice Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and publishers will give you practice pages. Yes. Um, when you get in contact with them, they give everybody a lettering test. So you get the art files, you get the script. And I don't know if all of them will give you an InDesign file too. So you might have to make the InDesign file yourself. And you place the art and you style the sound effects, place the text. Yep. So that's really mm-hmm. good practice. Once you do get your first work, take to heart everything that your editor says. Like, use the feedback and get better. I know Ace and I talked about how we used to be terrible. (laughs) But part (laughs) of the reason why we've gotten so much better is because we've worked with amazing editors who give us feedback and we learn from that and we get better because of that. And thank you, editors. You're amazing. Thank you for everything (laughs) I have today. (laughs) So, yeah, just take feedback. Yes. Very important. Mm Mm-hmm. Practicing on your own, getting feedback from other people, to like how to improve. Kind of like what Aiden did, especially like practicing on his own pages and then just getting like feedback from other people. Uh, and then, yeah, also taking that lettering test and just getting feedback about like how well you did and like taking that heart and improving for next time. Like that's, those are all really good advice. And that also brings us to Rixie's question about like, asking do you need to build a lettering portfolio if you've never lettered professionally before i think it's good to have examples i don't think it's necessary when i got my job it was 
way back in the day, as as we all know, I am the grandpa here. <laughs> but I didn't have the only lettering I had done was for a little Naruto booklet, which hadn't even been published at that point. So I didn't come to the table with anything. And I was given that lettering test. So I don't I don't know if it's necessary nowadays to have examples in your portfolio, but I don't think it hurts to have it. I think it's a good thing to have examples, be it, you know, like like Aiden did and, and you know, use your digital files and re-letter and be like, this is just an example, you know, like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One thing I'll add is that your portfolio doesn't even necessarily have to include manga or even comics, I think. Yes. That obviously, that helps. That helps a lot. But I think most uh, most editors are just looking for, like, do you have the the knowledge of, like, the software, like, InDesign, Photoshop, Clip Studio, etc.? And do you have, like, basic, like, design sensibilities? And that, that can come from all manner of places outside of comics. And I feel like, I feel like the rest is just, like, following instructions and taking feedback. Yes. And honestly, I bet they're looking for those pieces of software knowledge just as much as anything else, because I can tell you, it took me ages to learn how to actually use InDesign after using Photoshop primarily, mm-hmm. and I am still butting my head up against CSP <laughs> trying to learn some of its most basic features. <laughs> it's it's a learning curve. Yeah. I bought CSP. Mm-hmm. Oh. I bought CSP like a year ago, and I've used it three times. I'm sorry. That's, <laughs> about, that's about where I'm at. I'm in the same boat. It is a $200 screen tone remover, as far as I'm concerned. Yes. I can't learn vector drawing. I'm sorry, Isla, if you're listening. Oh, <laughs> uh, God, I was going to say something. God, what was it? Oh, uh, no, ignore me. Never mind. <laughs> no, that's okay. You guys have given, like, a lot of great advice about, like, what skills you should learn, uh, like, how to apply, like, different backgrounds to the profession of lettering and then some ways to like kind of practice and build up your skills and like with those skills and tools in mind then now my question turns to like what is the actual process of lettering itself in terms of the different steps it takes to get from the pages you get sent to the pages you then send out so can you walk us through your guys's workflow and then the steps you take to get to that finished page the final lettered product uh sure I'll, I'll, i'll go first so I, I think my process is, is a little basic compared to most people, but I'll, I'll get the, uh, the raw pages. Usually they still have, you know, all the, no, they always have the sound effects on them. Once in a while, they'll still have the text on them. So I'll get those. Often I'll get the pages before I get the script. So I do uh, as much prep work as I can. So usually I go through and I'll just kind of white out sections. Or, like, draw in basic things. Like, oh, here's just a big black blob that there's there's a sound effect on. Okay, I'm just going to paint it over, you know, on its own layer. Boom. It's just a very, you know, sloppy cleaning job. Just so every page is, is ready to go. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I, and w- once I get the script, I have a, a certain amount of pages I do every day, no matter what. It's It's usually about 20 pages a day. Mm. just finishing like i need to finish 20 pages a day and so usually i'll get those done and then i'll start kind of the next step i'm always prepping pages as i go along so i'll finish those 20 pages in the morning or whatever and then i'll spend the rest of the day maybe just putting sound effects on 
usually I do the sound effects in a couple like cycles. Like I'll just go and I'll be like, oh, this one is boom. Okay, I want to use this font. So I'll just put the sound effect on with the right font and the right style, but I won't like put it into place. And then I'll save and open the next one and just kind of go through. And it's just these little like cycles of doing little bits to each page until I get to the end. I'm not doing a very good job explaining this. Sorry. <laughs> no, not at all. Like, but it. It's so I usually do the easiest pages first, so they don't really require any extra prep time. They're just they're done really fast. So that gives me more time to prep the harder pages, and I do the harder pages at the end. But by that point, I've done so much prep on them that they're not as hard. If that makes any mm-hmm. sense, I always do my cleanup before I do any placing of pages in InDesign or any dialogue. That's always the very last thing I do. Um, so it's clean pages, do the touch-up and sound effects on sound on pages, place the pages in InDesign, put the dialogue, narration, etc. on the pages, make a PDF, send it to the editor, hope that you don't have five million corrections. <laughs> wow, I'm the total opposite. That's so interesting to hear. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I guess I'll go next. So what we get as letters, and this varies from publisher to publisher, but I get a folder that has all the high quality art files in it, and I download it, and I make a new blank InDesign file, and I use a script to place all the art files on all the right pages. So like, o1.tiff goes on page one, and so on. Um, And then I have to scale them up or down so that they fit the US trim size. Because books, I don't, if you've seen the Japanese release, the Tankobon, they're slightly smaller than the normal US trim size. So sometimes you have to get really crafty to get it to fit correctly <laughs> on the page. Uh, I use the script to do that too. And next, I draw a bunch of text frames all over the book. I usually do a whole book in one go because I'm just using my tablet and drawing like 500 squares. <laughs> next i use a script that uh is called letterer buddy and i parse the script to make it a txt file and i plop it into that tool and then i paste all the words into the text frames and then i go through and i format them so that they look nice and pretty we're trying to whenever we're formatting the text we're trying to make it look the same shape as the balloon that it's in so Mm -hmm. if it's oh tall oval we're trying to make the text look like a tall oval and once that's done i um open up the art file in in photoshop and i do all the sound effects lately i've been doing all the sound effects by hand because yeah i i don't know that many fonts y'all <laughs> like i know a brush that looks like that i'll just draw it by hand um it takes 10 times as long uh didn't say my process was the best Uh, once i do the sound effects then i do retouching usually especially on books with publishers where the sound effects are completely replaced like viz media the reason why i do the sound effects first is because i have to clean underneath them and it saves me a lot of time it's like brushing all the the dirt under the rug (laughs) (laughs) it's like when you were a kid and your parents are like, clean your room, and you're like, okay, and then you just shove everything underneath your bed. That's yep. what we do. <laughs> 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 underneath the sound effects, 
doesn't matter to me. No, nobody's, nobody's business what's underneath the sound effects. Yeah, but around no, no. the sound effects, that that's nice and pretty. <laughs> um, yeah, and then I do like a quality assurance pass just to make sure I didn't forget anything, which I always do. Thank you so much, proofreaders. I always forget <laughs> yes. something. There's always one thing. And then I send it to the editor. And the editor looks it over, they give me corrections, and then I make the corrections, and we do a couple passes of that. And then I upload the final InDesign package. So so all the time you save with your awesome scripts, you use doing every sound effect by hand. Wow, way to call <laughs> me yeah. up. Yes, I'm impressed because my hands, like I have I have shaky hands. So I think I've told this story on a previous podcast but my hands shake really badly and like anybody that can do sound effects by hands like man all the respect because i want to be able to do that but my hand shakes so the first time i tried to do that my editor circled it and said i hate this font Oh, that hurts. One day you'll encounter a font where that shakiness will be an advantage. Well, like a a shaky sound effect, like that you can naturally just draw out. In the same (laughs) series, there's a character drawing and like writing in the sand, and I was like, oh, I got this, bro. (laughs) My handwriting. And the person's like, the editor's like, this font is perfect. I'm like, yeah. yeah <laughs> so, so anybody that can do those hand-drawn sound effects, man, oh, chef's kiss. It's always so cool to look at. But uh, yeah, that, see, that's what, I, that's what I think is funny in this t- sense of like, man, there are some comics I would love to do lettering on, some that I would never want to. Give me the stuff that has rough and messy brushwork. I love that. I can do that. I can I can make it look messy, and I don't yeah, have yeah, to worry messy. about yeah, I got imagine, yeah. like matching that exact digital uh, vector style. Doesn't need to look pretty. Yeah. I can get as rough and dirty as it as I want. So, like, like hearing about both of your workflows is funny because mine's also just pretty different in a number of ways. I, I, I would say I'm probably closer to Sarah's overall. Hmm. Uh, w- what I'll do is I I go through and do most of the retouch right off the bat. And that's uh, not not that I'll retouch every single like large sound effect fully, because uh, most of the books that I've worked on could either have replaced subtitles or, or replaced sound effects or subtitled sound effects. So I'm kind of making decisions as I go along of which ones I want to leave to be subtitled and which ones should be replaced. And then while doing that, I've also created like a batch action in Photoshop that creates a kind of complex set of layers and groups within each page that I know, okay, if I need to have this blend mode, I've got these layers here for that and they're ordered. So that way I can keep a hierarchy of line art versus screen tones versus white out and then other keyboard shortcuts that will hide or change opacity on those various layers so I can kind of flip back and forth between things. And that helps me personally just keep a better account of how the the retouch process is going. And then once that's done, I'll usually go through and I'll use the same letterer buddy script to 
place all of the dialogue and I usually try to just go straight through and place and format any piece of text that's done in InDesign all in one go. Mm. And that that way that that's just done and it's usually faster than all of the sound effects, which is usually <laughs> what I do last. And I, I feel like Sarah said, well I've I know a bunch of fonts, but I personally feel like I'm not doing it right if it doesn't match as close as I can. So I feel frustrated with myself if I don't draw more of it by hand, I guess now, which is a kind of a self-inflicted wound of this is going to be harder. <laughs> <laughs> and then go through the, the revision processes as well. So that's, that's my overall workflow. Uh, I think the only thing I really have to add is that my, my process actually changes a lot depending on the series and depending on the publisher. Um, like the, the order in which I'll do things is very dependent on my mood. <laughs> very, very dependent on what I think are the most important things. But in general, I try to do things in passes so that I am, I'm kind of like doing the same thing over and over for like, for one particular work session. So I just, I, I try as much as possible to stick to doing one task. And then I finish that task and then I move on to the next one. When I first started, I would do, I would complete every single page before moving on to the next one. So I would just like paste, format, sound effects, and then paste, format, sound effects for the next page. And then just, it felt like I wasn't making any progress. But my, my brain likes it when I can just, I feel like I'm getting something done. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, I was just going to add that for, uh, even for like, like books for Viz where I'm doing completely replaced sound effects, like, for some series, like for Dragon Ball, I'll just, I'll, I'll go in and erase all of the Japanese sound effects, then I'll go and place all the English sound effects, and then I'll go and do all the retouch. Whereas something like Snow White with the Red Hair, which doesn't have a lot of sound effects usually, I can just like, I can clean, play sound effects, retouch, because it doesn't take that long. And so I can I can do that all for one page before I move on to the next one, and that works for me. Yeah, that that feeling of completion, of achieving something, is is really important for me too. That that's why it's like yeah, for me it's like twenty pages. Okay, I did it! Yay! Yeah, yeah, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta feel like I got oh, yeah. somewhere. See, that, that's really because like I started off similar to to doing that, where I would do every aspect of a page before moving on, and it ground me to a standstill at points. So oh, yeah. I found that I get I. I get a better sense of my own, like, completion on something if I'm able to complete, like, whole aspects of a book before yeah. moving on to other aspects of it. Yeah. yeah, it's hard to do a whole book of sound effects in one go. I mean, I I get through a certain amount of sound effects in one day, and, and then I look at the next page, and I'm like, I, can't, I don't know how to do this next sound effect. I honestly don't know what to do with this. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I try two times, and if both times they look like booty, then I'm like, okay, I'm done with sound effects for today. <laughs> I did snack time right now. I like, I, I'm fortunate in, I usually have about five books I'm working on at the same time. And it means that I can go from one to another where it's like, Oh, this this book is is just eternal sound effects. Okay, well I'll do five of those pages, and then fifteen of this book with basically no sound effects. Still getting my twenty pages done. 
<laughs> hey. Oh, I, I can also add that, like, since I do this, like, on top of a 40-hour work week other job, it's something that I work on usually just about one book at a time, and it's a lot of, all right, I put on a movie, and then I put on another movie, and then I put on another movie, and I just keep <laughs> trying to just go through it. So it's like, oh, yeah, you can see the days where I was really crunching hard by the obscene amount of things listed on my letterbox account for that day. Oh, <laughs> I have to pay attention to that. Oh, <laughs> Sometimes I'll look back at work and I'm like, why am I thinking of like, why does this remind me of Star Trek? And I'm like, oh, because I was watching Voyager while I worked <gasps> on these pages. Okay, okay so... Yeah, oh, yes. So I, I worked on, uh, there's a, a jump series called Mori King. Mm-hmm. And I I have okay. a lot of like story times and like people reading Reddit stories going on in the background as I work. And for some reason, I guess Febreze was having some sort of big like push for ads. <laughs> Whenever I hear a Febreze ad, I'm like, yeah, Maury King. <laughs> Just imagining a Febreze ad with Maury King in it. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I'd, I'd probably buy more Febreze. Um, no, but um, I can only imagine that this might be a whole other thing, but I can only imagine like how work intensive, like working on battle manga is compared to most other types of series. Yes. What do you know about speed lines, Brandon? <laughs> I, I, I tend to know a lot, actually. Something of a speed line expert these days. I would definitely call you a speedline expert. <laughs> Whenever I have to do speedlines, I'm like, what would Brandon do? Right. <laughs> oh. Did you have to think about that a lot with Dondadon in particular? Um, I haven't. So Dondadon is in, oh, it's in right. Jump, for people no, who don't know. So it's being simulcast. Yeah. So, but when you um, do the volumes, that might be something. <laughs> Actually, there are not that many sound effects hmm. in Dondadon. So I'm going to do exactly what I do with everything else. And because there are only a few sound effects, I'm going to spend a lot of time on them. <laughs> I haven't done them yet, but I, I can it's feel like it. Getting lucky since the, the artist worked with uh, Fujimoto on Chainsaw Man. It's like, oh, man. It's oh, a yeah. bit of a change from how intensive that is. Also, like it needs to be said, Sabrina Heap's work on Chainsaw Man is just about some of the most impressive Sound effects it lettering I've ever rules. seen. Absolutely. It is so yeah, good. I. Mm-hmm. My head hurts when I look at it because I'm like, <laughs> I know you must have spent hours on this page and the next page. And the, oh my gosh. So intense. I, I can only imagine how work intensive Chainsaw Man in particular is. Yeah. Mm hmm. <laughs> but it is so interesting. You guys have, like, Different approaches, but I think a common trend is that, yeah, you guys all have a focus on what is going to give me a sense of completeness at the end of the day. So break up different tasks and steps to make sure that you have a clear progress bar that you are filling up as the day goes along so that you, you know, can end each day with having to say, yeah, I completed all the tasks I needed to do for the day. So I think that's a really smart way to approach things. And especially... Like, this will get into our next question, but, you know, your day-to-day work life, I guess. But, like, you know, the process is, if even if you figure it out, like, well, it's making sure that you stay on track with that each day in terms of, like, your work time and maintaining, like, work-life balance as a freelancer. I'm sure that's very, can be very challenging, too, and that's to be 
sometimes flexible. What, what is balance. this work life balance? balance? <laughs> <laughs> um, one way I found balance on Dundadon because that was a whole lot of work. Um, we had to put out twenty one chapters within a couple weeks. Oof. At least mm-hmm. um, on my end, I don't know how long it took, like with acquisitions and translation and stuff, but it was a whole lot of work on top of everything else. And my the editor, Jennifer LeBlanc, was like, would you want to bring somebody on to help you? And I was immediately like, this is my chance to get to work <laughs> with Brendan. <laughs> <laughs> but I know, I know you're so busy. So I was like, you can say no, but I still really want to work with you. Like, when is this ever going to happen again? Yeah, it's so rare to be able to, to work with, with other letterers that just like, even just at the drop of a hat, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask, like, I don't often see like two letterers like collaborate on the same project in the same like series or book. So like, what was that like, like in terms of handing things off to each other, like, and dividing up tasks between yourselves on those chapters you collaborated with? Uh, from my end, it was really easy. I mean, you're amazing to work with. <laughs> I, I, don't, I didn't really have to explain anything to you. I was just like, yeah, I uploaded the files. Can you? Yeah. Well, well, we did We did split it up. Um, like, you worked on the text placement and formatting. Thank you so much. <laughs> of course. Anytime. Yeah. I think, well, Sarah's kind of sold herself short a little bit because she did a lot of, like, the art layout and uh, uh prep work and stuff so it was it was really easy for me to just sort of go in and do my thing and like i've been i've been on the simul grind for almost four years at this point so <laughs> it, it's there's there's not a whole lot of curveballs that something can throw at me that i'm just like yeah so i think the the most difficult part about dandadan specifically was just like i was in the middle of just like some of the busiest stuff i've had in my whole career Sort of fitting it in was tricky, but the work itself was like, okay, yeah, yeah we're just doing, doing what I always do. <laughs> yeah. It was so fun. Your magic. Oh, well, that goes to a question I had about how do you balance working on different projects? Like, Aiden, I know you just take one project at the same time, but uh, Ace, Brandon, Sarah, you guys work on multiple projects simultaneously. So, like, when you have, like, two things that have or multiple things that have been sent to you at the same time, like how do you divide up what to work on uh, when in order to like meet those deadlines? I work on um, anywhere from five to eight books in one month, which is a lot. Mm. But I think being really organized, like I use Google Sheets. Oh, that's a good idea. I love Excel spreadsheets for whatever reason. <laughs> I, um, And so that's what I use to figure out like, how many pages do I need to do? How many pages do I need to format? How many pages do I need to do the sound effects? And so I just have like a list of all of the projects that I need to work on and how many days I have left. And I'm able to prioritize based on all of the books that I've already worked on, how long I'm going to need for each book. Mm-hmm. So I update it every day. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much my process. I think the trickiest thing is new projects because... Um, depending on like the publisher and the manga itself, you're sort of going in without an understanding of how difficult it is. Like, y- y- there's some stuff like you can get from like buying 
the Japanese version off of Bookwalker or something and just taking like a, a quick skim through it. But I generally, like after a couple of volumes on a series, I'm like, I have a good idea of how long this takes me to do. And then I can sort of fit everything else around it. But with taking on new projects tends to be a lot of like, I, I kind of don't know how this one's going to turn out. <laughs> so I need to give myself enough time and then, you know, inevitably I don't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for me, uh, I generally have, right now I have 13 or 14 series I'm working on, but I usually only have maybe, like I said before, like the files and scripts for like five at a time. And I've mm. I've got a little, because I'm a Final Fantasy 15 super fan, <laughs> uh, I have a little set of standees of all the four Chocobros riding Chocobos, and they all have little speech bubbles above their heads and it's like a little whiteboard <laughs> so i i i write the next four deadlines i have and i put them in their little slots in their little stand and once i finish one you know i erase it and i move all the other chocobos forward and i put the next chocobo at the back and put the next deadline and then i also have a, a paper calendar that i i whenever i get a series i always ask you know how many volumes ahead I can to be like what are our due dates so I have everything kind of planned out so if I'm offered a new series I can look at my calendar my paper calendar and be like okay I have four books due that month and they're all full touch-up and they're all battle series <laughs> I can't take this <laughs> you know or I could take this but you need to give me the script three months in advance instead of the month I know you're going to give it to me <laughs> yeah I like it <laughs> Like I said that like like I only usually work on one thing at once, but that's just because dates have lined up like that. Like mm. when I I started with uh with working with books from Seven Seas, they're like, hey, you finished that book? Would you like another? And then that happened again, and I was like, like cool, I've got I'm working on three different projects, and they all were nicely spaced out. And then the second volume of all three of those series all were within a month of each other. Oh, and yeah. And then, and the last of those three was school zone girls, which is by far the most time consuming. <laughs> and then I did the third volume of it recently and haven't worked on the third volume of the others yet. So it's like, okay, I don't need to worry about that spacing there. It, it kind of becomes the luck of the draw in that regard. Oh, yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Yeah, very much. Yeah, it, uh, yeah I, I have plenty of series that are like, oh, yeah, every other month we're having a book come out. That's great. Oh, but here are some that come out quarterly. Oh, okay, here are some that come out biannually. Guess what? They're all going to line up at some point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I got yeah, really like, uh, unlucky. I lettered like 10 volumes in August, uh, which oh, is very painful. Oh, um, man. And a lot of those are were like stuff that comes around like once a year. And I'm like, come on, man. Wow. <laughs> like, really? oh, that is bad luck of the draw. Uh, like, I mean, currently I do have, it's like, I've got files for two different books that I'll be working on later, but I just have the art. And that's been, I, like, I'm really grateful that the, the, the publisher was able to send the art early because it requires a fair amount of touch-up, but I'm able to work on that in advance of getting the script, and that's going to definitely save me a lot of time that I would have like otherwise had to spend on that project when I could be working on the dialogue or the sound effects. So mm. I, I appreciate it when I'm able to, like, 
work on some of some aspects of it ahead of schedule. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. One thing that I didn't know that you really do need a schedule for is corrections. Yeah. <laughs> some publishers yeah. actually handle them themselves, but for most books, you're handling the corrections, and it can take hours out of oh, your yeah. day. Yes. So, especially if you have to like redo sound effects mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. So, and always so for make first, space for that. Like, especially for like the first volume of a series. So, like, if you don't know the like different editors may have different things that they're picky about and it's like well i i I did this up to the standards of something but it's not what they were looking for so this first book is going to be learning experience again Mm -hmm. what are some of the corrections you guys have been asked to do um some of those projects and like how much leeway do you like leave in your schedule to allow for them i feel like it's mostly how much leeway did the publisher allow? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because um, it's been the full range of like, hey, this book goes goes to print tomorrow, when, and you got <laughs> yep. like, you got to yep. correct like two thirds of the book. <laughs> like, all right, see ya. I'm like, ah, yeah, thanks, I guess. <laughs> uh, whereas yeah. other other times, it is a proper like, it is a proper back and forth, and you know, some some sometimes they want like, I think I've had about a week. At most, maybe a week and a half. I have uh, one editor who's very good at giving me two weeks for the first draft, for the first round of corrections, and then one week for the second. And usually then I turn in the files. But it's, they're very good on that because they understand that it can take a while, especially, you know, when you have a whole jillion other books you got to do and like, another half hojillion the simul you know simul pubs <laughs> going on like they get it which is be especially good be- yeah yeah this this editor we were having trouble with how the book read just because there was a lot of um a lot of accents in it so trying to get those to read smoothly but also feel like the right time period was really hard so it was always like 450 plus corrections per book oh wow unbelievable Uh, so it was uh i mean thankfully mostly it was text corrections but it was still many many hours of going through it so like having those two weeks and i usually try to turn it around within the week for for this editor just so it's off my mind but but the, the worst corrections i've ever gotten i was working on a uh a one-shot book that I, I will not name because I, I will not name and shame. And I also, this was uh, like probably 10 years ago I did this, so the lettering is pretty bad. Um, but I turn in the first draft and I get the corrections back. And this is this is before we were using InDesign. So I guess this is probably... Hmm. Oh, I know where this is going. <laughs> this, oh. is, this is actually probably more like Thirteen years ago, so it was before wow. we were using InDesign. Not only were there a ton of text corrections, the editor decided that the sound effects weren't right. Not that <sighs> my sound effects weren't right; the text of the sound effects oh, weren't no. right. Oh. So you basically had to re-letter all of those sound effects. I did, and then they decided that they liked the previous ones better. Okay, hey, you're that's time. Time is money. 
One of the best things about InDesign is allowing you to like change stuff in batches, which you can't do as easily with Photoshop individual files. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and to, to make things uh, worse when they wanted everything to be changed back, I had deleted those sound effects because I was, I was oh. like, you don't want them anymore. So I basically had to do probably forty percent of the book three times. Oh, oh my no. god! That's, was, my gosh. that's the worst. Yeah, I was. <laughs> See, I'm, yeah, I'm annoyed when I have to uh, for for some some projects. It'll be like a cycle of just like change it, change it again, change it back to what you first had. And just for one sound effect, I'm like, all right, okay, all right. <laughs> but to do that yeah, for yeah, it, like forty percent of a book, it oh, was. I would I would break. <laughs> I I feel like like. I, I'm going. It, it's 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 not PTSD, but it's like you know, like that that <laughs> you know, like I'm seeing flashbacks. Like, oh god, I could see the sound effects in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, thankfully, that was like what 13 years ago. Uh, that's been the worst. So hey, there you go. Yeah. And now I save all my sound effects. Whatever they're like, oh. Can you redo this one? I'm like, yeah. I'm just gonna turn off that layer, but we're gonna keep it when you want it again. <laughs> I have some other like corrections I've gotten have been things like uh like deciding grammar on certain types of subtitled sound effects cuz like if you're subtitling something maybe the original might have like a squiggly line or an exclamation point mm. and it could be tricky to decide okay do we want to replicate that in the English version if it's subtitled or do we only want to replicate it if you're replacing it or things like uh like moving things out of the gutter so like like text usually is kept out of the gutter just almost always but some in the gutter or like the gutter or like the the bleed or like portions of the book where it can be difficult to see it can be cut off by the printer or lost between the pages so like sometimes a japanese sound effect will go into the gutter or out of the bleed and I might replicate that, being like, "Oh, cool! I want to, I want to respect the artist's vision here, and and make it cool in a big swoosh with the brush." And then I'm told, "Please keep this inside." I'm like, "Oh, yeah. yes, I'm sorry." Yeah. <laughs> same, same. I've definitely done ones where, yeah, it'll be like roar, and then it'll be like eight R's, and they run off the page, and I'm like, "Yeah, cool." They're like, "We can't tell what this last letter is because it's getting cut off. It's an R." Like the five R's we have before it. Keep it, in, keep it in the safety line. And I'm like, okay. Okay, fine. Compromise. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I have a funny story. Um, one volume I was working on, most of the corrections were just editorial. So fixing typos, maybe changing the wording a little bit, adding commas. So I got like in the zone. I was like, okay, copy, paste. Copy, paste, <laughs> copy, paste. And then I got one correction. It was make text bigger. Copy, paste. I pasted that into the dialogue balloon. So the next round of corrections, they were like, Sarah, please change it back. I used to, uh, my, my first world trigger editor, she and I would just go back and forth and we had like little storylines that we'd make up for the characters and stuff. And I'd take screen caps and like when I emailed her the the uh, script or the chapter back, like, you know, I'd, I'd put these screen caps in in our uh, in our emails. 
And sometimes I just write out, like, part of our storyline in it. And, like, you know, sometimes it'd be shippy and sometimes it'd just be, like, silly. Once I forgot to change it back. Oh, no, <laughs> no. Something like, as much as I appreciate RAU, I don't think we could publish this. Oh man! The moral if only of the story you could... is: we appreciate you, proofreaders and editors. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so that, we're not perfect like, human beings. One correction. So one funny correction mishap thing that happened with me was like on my first book. I was told, okay, please add crossbar eyes at the beginning of these sentences, because the style mm-hmm. guide called for using crossbar eyes there. But a lot of more recent comic book fonts have technology built into them that'll stop them from having crossbars at the beginning of sentences, huh. because that's what the Western comic standard is. Mm-hmm. And the publisher didn't want that. So I went in there and I used the pipe glyph, like the vertical line, which was programmed to be the actual crossbar eye. So I was like, okay, here we go. So that got what they wanted and I submitted it. And then sometime during the editing process, the I think the, the text might have been moved around or something, but an older version of that exact same font did not have that auto crossbar oh, eye no. technology. And instead of having the crossbar eye mapped to the pipe glyph, it had the slash eye mapped to the pipe glyph. <laughs> so it went back to what they asked me to correct. Oh my and god. I was like, oh no, I'm sorry. <laughs> and I, I vectorized some of those uh, instances in later volumes to avoid that happening. Yeah, just, yeah it can be really tricky um, when you've got, like, because we're all, like, sending files and sending fonts to other folks in the process. And if, like, because, you know, like, font creators like Blambot and Comicraft and stuff, they update their fonts over time. So if there is a change, if there's a mishmash in um, font versions, it can, it can be a little problematic sometimes. Yep. <laughs> I love those updates. They're, they make, like... Yeah. In general, they're almost always really, yeah. really useful things made with letterers in mind, but they are made with letterers in mind. They are not made with editing process and all that in mind. Publishers, please <laughs> update your fonts. <laughs> One of the most recent updates that Comicraft and Blamba have been making, especially um, in their new fonts that they're making, they're adding heart glyphs and star glyphs. Which oh, is I, love that. I love those. Nice. In the past, whenever the script has like a little heart symbol, we have to search through our hard drive to find some like Helvetica. Like, look. <laughs> Helvetica next to Samaritan Toth, no thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so it's so nice to be able to have a heart glyph that looks exactly like the font that it's next to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So whenever mm-hmm. I use them, I know that the publisher might not have the newest version of the font. So I always convert it to outlines, convert it to a vector so that they can't, like, I won't get rid of my heart. Yeah. <laughs> I, I started sure. doing that recently too, and I'm, I'm it's like, okay. Not that I don't trust you, but I really want this heart to be this heart. (laughs) (laughs) It means a lot to us for no reason in particular. (laughs) Because it looks good. Yeah. Yeah, We're all about looking good. Yeah. Mm. And you want your hearts to be as pretty as possible. 
Absolutely. <laughs> it's amazing that Blambot and Comicraft have started doing that. Yeah, it's really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I gotta think it's at least in part, like, just a lot more manga folks are, are active on social media and just, like, explaining, like, how different our side of the process is. Like, we're using fonts, by and large, designed for Western comics. Mm. But we have to put, like, our own little spin on them. Just, like, there's there's just things in manga that don't crop up anywhere else. Oh, yeah. Like, like I know this is maybe answering the question from the beginning of the, the episode, but when you, you mentioned, like, the differences between Western and, like, manga lettering, I think one of the biggest differences between them is how... In Japan, for decades and decades and decades, dialogue in comics is all done with fonts, and they're using something that looks very similar. Like it's equivalent almost to what we would have as like Times New Roman or mm-hmm. Helvetica or something, like just a very plain standard font, and that's used across almost every single comic. But in Western comics, they were all lettered by hand, mm-hmm. so you had the kind of the individuality of the letterers coming through there even as they tried to strive for uniformity in the way that they would draw their letters. And I think it like, I love that Western hand lettering tradition and how it looks and seeing how like the, the letterers have like, yeah, they're, they're aiming to look the same each time they draw them, but there are those slight differences and imperfections. And that's the tradition that's being emulated with a lot of the, fonts for lettering so so like when you carry that over into manga you can you have kind of a room for interpretation of do we want to use a font that will match the art style and try to look like it was drawn by the artist or do we want to keep something that has a consistent style for the publisher and it it leads to a lot of different like unique and totally valid approaches to it mm-hmm. that that I really like. Yeah. Yeah, it's such a interesting beast because you are marrying two different traditions of lettering when it comes to manga lettering because you are using kind of western comics types of typography and fonts and principles but you also are trying to map that onto the Japanese traditions. Yeah. And I do find that really really interesting. One of my favorite but also one of the most stressful parts of picking up a new project <laughs> is picking a dialogue font. Mm. Because I, I, I him and haw so much of like, what, what do I think is going to best fit the art? Like, what are the limitations? What are the kinds of like, are there any special, special characters that we might need that might crop up later? Do we have a Macron in the script? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's yeah, all have, sorts uh, of things. So uh, I mentioned her earlier, but uh, Pancho Diaz is my editor for Children of the Whale. And she is the goddess who was like, hey, so I'm thinking maybe we should use these fonts for this series. And I was like, yeah, that sounds cool. That means I don't have to think about it. Thanks, Poncha. <laughs> oh, she, like, there are so many names and terms that have all of the unlots and accent marks. And the font she chose has everyone. And I'm not used to that. I'm used to having to go in and being like, well, this, you know, I, I'm going to put a colon over this U, and that's now, you know, there we go, now it's a new lot, you know. But no, she chose, oh god, she she's a goddess, thank you, Pancha. You made my life so Chef much Keith. easier. Yes. That's awesome. Yeah, picking fonts is 
difficult. I, I do like it when uh, an editor has at least suggestions, you know. I have to pick out fonts for a new book this afternoon, and I'm not looking forward to it. It's just <laughs> oh, really... It's, it, it's, oh. it's just stressful to me. And also, yeah. like, I don't like... Because I'll, I'll, I'll get a, a couple panels or a couple pages, and then I just re-letter them, you know, like, eight or nine times. And doing the same, you know, three to five pages eight or nine times is just, like, pulling teeth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of trial Dupl- and error You can duplicate those layers, way. switch out the paragraph styles. Oh. Well, I mean, I, I do, but, like, yeah. then you have to you know, go go in and be like, okay, now I have to... It's not, like, it's, it's just tedious. Yeah. It's not just hard. It's just tedious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do it. Just pick my fonts yeah. for me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I was wondering, in your guys' opinion, what made a good font and what made a bad one, but it definitely sounds like the best kind of fonts are the ones that fit the series you're working on the best and are are the most versatile. It gives you all the characters and you need, and you don't yeah. have to like do a lot of heavy work like Aiden is doing to add the crossbar eyes back <laughs> in the yeah. roundabout way. Oh, see, that's, that's nothing. It's definitely the umlauts and the macrons. And st- like, the, the macron is like the the long bar that can appear above a vowel to elongate it. So mm-hmm. instead of like, instead of OU, sometimes in localized names, they'll have a macron. So shonen versus shonen. Mm-hmm. And yep. yeah. And that can appear based off of, and that's usually also dependent on the style guide. Yep. Oh yeah. Well, Aiden, I also want to ask you, I mean, all of you guys, but Aiden, I know you're a font connoisseur in particular. Like, what are your favorite fonts to use? <laughs> like, what? So, like, if I had to pick a single font to use on absolutely everything, I would probably go with one from Blambot called Ready for Anything BB. Yep. And it's just like its name describes, because it is ready for anything. It's a really highly legible font with enormous glyph support as far as like all the different accented characters and there are six different versions of every single letter in it that way if you're typing it'll just kind of jumble up the different versions of them and they're all just slightly different that way it looks like it's being drawn naturally and it's just a really really good font but then also i just when it comes to like my personal preference for manga art and comic art in general is just, I like stuff that's rough and sketchy and kind of like brash looking, I guess. And I like fonts that can match that as well. So I like, I really like origin story from comic craft, which is one of their more recent ones. Hmm. How about you guys? Oh uh, yeah. Mm. I, I did something I've been using. Um, oh God, what is it called? I think it's uh might makes right pro from Blambot on Assassin's Creed. And mm. I think that is sort of a new favorite of mine. I tend to, um, I don't want to say get bored, but if I have the, if I'm given the choice to pick a font on a new series, I'll tend to try to use something new. Like I'll, I'll tend to not use the same thing, like maybe two or three times in a row. And so that that was a choice that I made, like, when I started doing Assassin's Creed, I was like, ah, I'm going to try this out. And then I was like, wow, this is actually really sick. <laughs> that is a choice, a fairly recent choice that I feel like I've been really proud of. Like, fits the art. To the point where the, um, one of the editors or proofreaders, like, was even like, this is a good choice in font. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I did that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> On the subject of 
bad fonts. Bad fonts Ooh. are the reason why I started making my own fonts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, if you didn't know this already, in the Japanese edition, sometimes the typesetting has like 10 different dialogue fonts. Mm-hmm. So, there's the normal, like just talking, like everyday talking, and then there's like a yelling font. There's an angry font. There's like a I'm dying font. Um, <laughs> so we try to recreate that in the English edition. But the problem is that there isn't always a suitable, like there isn't a font from Blambot or Comicraft that fits it. So we have to look for another dialogue font to use in its place. But the problem is that with comic book lettering, we have a lot of editorial needs like Aiden was talking about the crossbar eye, which is the glyph that we use when we're referring to the personal pronoun I, so it has a bar on the top and bottom. And most fonts do not have that. (laughs) So sometimes we have to get crafty and make our own glyphs. So the reason why I started making my own fonts was because there were specific fonts that I saw over and over again, all the the titles that I've worked on, but there wasn't a suitable replacement for it. And they're very handy. I'm, I'm, <laughs> very, I'm very happy that you made those. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I think especially specifically, there's one that I think it correlates with your font, Spicy Noodles, right? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Which is one that I've seen all over the place, and there's just hardly anything like it. Yeah. In English. I actually, yeah. they released a version of Reggae, which is the font that that's like mimicking. They released a f- version of it that was open to the public, so you could legally like change the font, rename it, just credit them, and then do whatever you want with it. So I took that font, and then I added all the glyphs that we need, and I tried using it in a comic book, and it just didn't look good. Like I don't know what it was. It just it didn't have the same feel in Japanese as it did in English, and most importantly because the letters are so big. Like so wide, it's so hard to fit it into any word balloon. So you have to squeeze it down, and at that point, like the amount you need to squeeze it down, you can really tell, yep. and it's kind of hard to read. Yeah, I- and that, like also that like that touches on that thing I mentioned about like the tradition of fonts versus hand lettering. Where even though most Western comics are lettered with fonts now, like the letters still usually stick with a tight selection or like a small stable of fonts for a specific title. That way, they can keep that aura of it being done by a single person and done like with a like a certain set of implements whereas mm-hmm. in Japan they're like oh cool we got a new font those take forever to make because we've got thousands upon thousands and thousands of glyphs <laughs> we we can use it now so like with more modern manga you could just they just go wild with it yep. they've got 20 different dialogue fonts <laughs> in a book i worked on yeah. and yeah it'll depend on whether or not you want like you personally, or also the, the editorial staff and the, the guides want you to match those fonts one to one, or if you want to, to simplify yeah. it. So, mm-hmm. there are definitely some publishers who are just like, no matter what, if it, if there's a like, match the Japanese book one to one, just whatever they use, you got to use it. And my particular personal taste is more like, if they go ham, I try to group them. I try to simplify it a bit, but it yeah. is very much a uh, it's, a, it's a very much a case by case basis. Yeah, yeah, I definitely have editors that are like use as few fonts as possible, and I'm like, ah. 
But you know, yeah. but Japan does go a little a little ham sometimes. I do have mm-hmm. one one series I'm working on which has probably six or seven regular fonts. Oof, and the editor for that is is pretty chill about that. I try to keep it to only those six or seven because it, it goes ham. But another editor that looks at it is always upset, like, why are there so many? <laughs> just you just need like three. Just do three. And I'm like, no, I want to match it. And the editor let me, so harumph. Yeah, like you know what? It's just That's something I've started asking editors on new projects. It's like they use a whole lot of fonts. Do you want me to match this one for one? Because I need to know before I let her in. Yes. Yeah, that's it's really important to yeah. get that out in the air ASAP. And that's like I found like like a, like an upcoming project that I am like prepping for has a very small stable of fonts, and I'm grateful for that because I think that it makes it look more like the analog drawn thing that it actually is, mm. and should allow for me to be able to pick a few like highly specified fonts that look like they were all drawn with a similar type of pen yep. to, to like what the artist used, and I'm. I'm just giddy, excited, like, thinking about that. It's like, oh, man, I, I know that I'll be able to make this look really cohesive. Yep. On, on the topic of nice. font choices, though, can we talk about how doing it for simulpubs is sort of just like, it's like, you got you got five seconds to make that decision, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so just definitely, uh, you're you're flying by the seat of your pants on, on simuls sometimes, and you're just like, you don't even... Uh, you can't see into the future and be like, how many fonts are they going to use throughout the series? And you just right. gotta, you gotta roll with it. Does this person Oof. need, this person is talking a little oddly. Do they need their own font? Oh, they're probably not important. Oh my god, it's the main bad guy. It's like, oh man, oh they're, they're whispering here. Could I use, could I use this certain font? Oh no, wait, I already used that for the, the radio dialogue because I already used the one I normally use for radio dialogue for a label box somewhere else. Yeah. Oh. that correlated with that yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like trying to juggle on a, on a unicycle <laughs> yeah um, another interesting okay. thing with uh with the simul pubs is not knowing what's gonna happen which i mean sounds obvious but for example uh on the chapter of witch watch that actually came out this morning mm. there's a, a character who says something but it's like gibberish. It's like Kana in Kana, wow. and so we're like, does this mean something? Should uh, we translate this? <laughs> you know, is this just gibberish? So I'll have to see what it, it turned out to be because they were like, let's contact Shinohara Sensei and see what he says about this because his stuff usually has meaning in the future. And <laughs> like, if we mess it up here, uh oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Man, such a, yeah, I think, yeah, juggling act to try and figure out, like, what fonts to use when and then make a different choice on the fly. Yeah. Though, has there um, ever been, mm. oh, has there ever been, like, a choice you made during a simulpub that you ended up changing for the volume release after, like, you know, doing the series for a bit and seeing what was maybe working and what maybe you wanted to adjust? I literally just did that on Kaiju Nibiri. Yeah, there was. Uh, I didn't have an established radio font because I didn't. I didn't think we need it. <laughs> um, and then it turns out all the fights in that manga are the characters communicating over radio constantly. Oh no! Mm-hmm. And so while while I was working on the simul, I was thinking like, uh, it's a little difficult to like like the the bubble shape 
is sort of the main way like you can understand it from context and the art but i wanted to i wanted the the font to complement that so that was that was sort of like priority number one when i started working on the on the volumes it's like i need to add a radio font and then as of because i've finished volume one fairly recently so i got the go ahead to reflect those changes in the simul chapters so from like chapter 42 or so onwards it's like i guess in this pocket in time it's like wow the fonts just changed randomly like when when the volume comes out in december it'll all make sense yeah yeah Mm. i changed um in world trigger we started out with this caption font I think Wonder Comic, SF Wonder Comic. And it just, it was fine, but it just didn't feel right for the series. So yeah, when we started doing um, the graphic novels, we changed it to uh, Akashi, which is a little hard to read in like uh, paragraphs, but we only use it for a couple very specific things. So it's hmm. not too bad, but it's definitely, I haven't, I still have the uh, the old caption paragraph style in the templates I have for World Trigger. So once in a while, I'll hit the wrong one and be like, oh yeah, why do I still have that? Eh, whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, maybe I'll need it someday. I'll keep it on here. Yeah. <laughs> Man, there so much consideration goes into all <laughs> these different choices to go to lettering that I think a lot of people who just read comics are like, Oh, I just seen the words on the page and not thinking about all of this like <laughs> mental work that goes along all the different choices made in the book. Uh, I appreciate what you guys do so much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just, just on the subject of like font choices, though, I also was curious. Like, are there any like commonly used manga fonts that you still see you still see being used that you're not a big fan of? Whizbang. Whizbang. Yeah. So that's, <laughs> that's what I. <laughs> yeah. When you were talking earlier about the font that you wish people would stop using, I was like, "It's Whizbang, isn't it?" <laughs> oh, okay. No, it, it actually isn't. I, I will say oh. it, it's the font I was thinking about. It's Zedjuice. Mm. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, a, yeah. Which, which looks nice sometimes, but it just it requires a lot of hand touching up, a yeah. lot of mm-hmm. hand yeah. turning. Mm-hmm. Um, that's an old one that hasn't been updated. Yeah, yeah. yeah. same yeah. for. Slightly controversial take is Wild Words, just because Ooh. I get to see it too much. Yeah, it's, like, it's, it's over. I think it is an. I think it is like it is the true neutral of font of comic book fonts. It's it's a really really well designed font that works on just about everything, but also it's on just about everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Wild Words is my go to when I need a a comic book font for something like when i'm drawing a, a comic or a thumbnails and it's like i want just good lettering text i, I end up defaulting to wild words because i just know that's pretty common to get yeah. that look there yeah i think it's important yeah. that it like it works which is why a lot of like for a couple of publishers like that is the dialogue font like yep. that's it <laughs> so yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's important to acknowledge that Whizbang and Wild Words, they were like some of the first digital comic book fonts. Yeah. yeah. I mean, 1993 for Whizbang? Yeah, I yeah. think Whizbang was like the first developed digital font for comics. 
Everything yeah, advertises the commercially, the commercially available one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was reading uh, Todd Klein's kind of history of like comics lettering. I read that. I also like a lot of early manga did use Whizbang. Like DBZ, I know used Whizbang. Yeah, still got like it. That. So Pokemon still uses it. Yep. Yep. So it it's a. Uh... It creates for some interesting uh, challenges since I've got a, you know, I picked up working on Dragon Ball Super, like, you know, like some 50 chapters in. So it's not like I can come in and be like, hey, we're going to stop using it. You know, like you just got to you have to work within those limitations. And it's not like I'm like, oh, how dare they make me use this bag? I hate it. It's just like it creates for some interesting challenges that would not be present otherwise if I could go back in time and tell the folks who worked on uh, on Dragon Ball and Z, just like, like go back in time 20 years and be like, don't do it, though! <laughs> don't! No, you can also go back and tell them, hey, don't make Piccolo talk in like this archaic way at the beginning of Z and then change that <laughs> That'll never not bother so me. Funny. There are some fun, inst- like, weird instances of, I'd say, like, that, that Wild West era of, okay, we gotta put this stuff out fast, where Stuff got changed from Whizbang, even. Like, One Piece started with Whizbang for, like, 11 volumes or so. Yeah, and, and then just changed it. <laughs> I think about, from, like, volume 4 to volume 8 or so of Bleach, it's just a completely different font. Yeah. And then it goes back to Whizbang. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, yeah, I feel like that that's something that definitely happens in a lot of a lot of manga from that era, where, like, you can just... Folks come in and can just change the font willy-nilly, uh, which is not something <laughs> that we generally get to do anymore. Nope. <laughs> for, for better or for worse, you know. That consistency oh, is important. God. At least Wild Words has been updated. That is true. That yeah. is true. Bang has not. Yeah. Yeah. Gotta... Hey, the site says that it's going to be receiving an update, but I think that site was last updated in 1993. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, man. I'm still waiting. <laughs> Well, Whizbangs, maybe by its 30th anniversary, they'll finally come up with an update. The new yeah. and improved Whizbang <laughs> for the 21st century, just 23 years late. What, what is interesting is I think Whizbang is actually like a decent font in a number of ways. And I think that it like does a really good job of mimicking the look of some like hand lettering I've seen from the 80s. But it's meant for horizontal bubbles. Yeah. Yes. It is, it's so it is wide. meant for something that is really wide yeah. and just does not work in manga. Which um, I think mm-hmm. is a problem sort of endemic to a lot of the fonts that we use. Like, Whizbang is a very extreme example, but, you know, that is that is one of the core limitations that we have in mind when working on manga, is that, you know, Japanese reads right to left in books and top to bottom. So it's very common to see these like thin and tall word balloons, and that's just like completely antithetical to how English works. So yeah, it's really important. Like that is a driving force behind a lot of the choices, uh, a lot of the font choices I make when I can make them. Is like if I see these thin word balloons, like I'm not, I'm not going to choose Whizbang. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, and that, um, God, I remember on um. On Guardian of the Witch in Shonen Jump, that has some of the tightest word balloons I've ever worked on, and I chose really, <laughs> really tight. Like I used Samaritan Tall for that one, and it, it looked fantastic. But even like uh, a thin font like that, I had trouble like 
I had trouble fitting in the text because it's just so. Yeah, you're really limited by uh, the art sometimes. Yeah, I've started to take a lot of the fonts I, I'm I'll test for an editor, and I'll just look at it and be like, no, no, we're gonna make this eighty percent horizontal width. Oh, and yeah, see yeah. if anybody notices. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they don't hate that's what we're going with, you know? And <laughs> yep. it's it's worked out well. Like I, I use a Blambot classic for a witch watch at 81%. Oh, I think. oh that's what that is. That looks really nice. I, mm-hmm. I think it works really I like well. I, I do recommend, you know, like, yeah, I, was yeah. like I like this font, but it's a little wide. What if I hmm Yeah, it's yeah, it's used in Chainsaw Man for the dialogue as well, and I was surprised Ooh. when I first saw it because it was like, "Oh wow, that's a wide font." But I, I, I trust Sabrina Heap's lettering instincts. I'll see what this goes with, and it, it turned out fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sometimes you just gotta. Hmm. No, sorry, I was just gonna say this isn't something I've really ever thought of before doing the podcast about how, like, you know, depending on like what font you pick for a series, th- that's a part of that series' identity, yeah. and yeah. I oh, think yeah. mm-hmm. you know. Ace just brought up Witch Watch, and honestly, I, I don't think you could have picked anything better for, like, a Kenta Shinohara series in particular. Thank like, it, it really feels like it fits. Mm-hmm. For Shonen Jump, I'm that level of petty where if, like, I'll make my choices sort of dependent on, like, oh, I want this to look unique. You know, if, if there's folks, like, sort of reading Shonen Jump as a whole every Sunday, and, like, I want something that you know sort of depending like i i chose the the font for hardball cop and dolphin that was uh kind of mm. crazy uh i think because demon slayer had just ended or was about to end and there wasn't anything else in the lineup i think that was using it so that was <laughs> that, that was uh, no no lie sort of about 40 percent of the reason i chose it for, for that series <laughs> i'm gonna be <laughs> unique <laughs> Yeah. I mean, especially in a lineup of like nineteen, twenty different series. Yeah, yeah like yeah, having yeah. a series have its own font that, yeah. that definitely makes stand out. It's it that sense of identity. Something I don't have to keep in mind, but I'm just sort of like, <laughs> yeah, you know what? <laughs> like, and like, like tons of a lot of stuff in Jump uses wild words, and it looks fine with it. I actually mm-hmm. really, really like the the way that Ace uses wild words on Black Clover with the yeah, because the like. The letting is a little bit tighter than it is on most other jump uses of wild words, but not too tight. And I think it looks really, really nice. Thank you. I, that just that was a lucky, yeah, but, lucky uh, break on that one. <laughs> <laughs> but then, like mm-hmm. one of the other one of the other fonts that's used in a lot of more recent jump things is CC Meanwhile, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Like, like it's being used on uh, Dondadon right now, right? Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. And, it's Meanwhile, like that's that's one of my favorite other dialogue fonts because i think it despite its kind of harsh and sharp look in some places it kind of melds with art really nicely like it was used for um my love story and despite it it's like oh it's just a a sweet little romance story but this font just it yeah i'm stumbling over my words there but i think cc meanwhile is a really very versatile dialogue font i like it a lot i made a a thread a while Mm -hmm. back of um like dialogue fonts in Shonen Jump. I think it's it's fairly outdated yeah. by this point with a bunch of new series that have started, but yeah, I should boost that again so people can kind of get an idea of like, here's sort of like, here's a good chunk of a lineup of like 20 different manga and how each of them approach the design of the text slightly differently. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think it was that tweet that uh, that made me realize like, 
man, in, in terms of like Viz and their Shonen Jump stuff, we've really come a long way in terms of like the variety of fonts. Because yeah. I remember reading like, you know, the quote unquote, the big three back in the day <laughs> and kind of feeling like, I mean, looking back in retrospect, I could see like, oh, man, they really used like the same font for a lot of stuff. Yeah. The, yeah. the approach to sound effects is is still really different, though. So I think there's there's value there, and there's even yeah, there, true, there's yeah. value in having sort of a consistent look along a uh, just you know like among a publisher's work. So I don't I don't want to yeah. discount that. I'm, I'm not like ah, oh, everybody uses wild words. Or, yeah, everyone uses wild words, so it's yeah. terrible. I, I see value in that, but it's more of like a personal taste thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just like the variety personally. Yeah. Yeah. yeah me too. Yeah. Yeah, reading up your thread you made, like, there is, like, 10, 12, like, different fonts. It's really cool to see, like, there is that variety. But, yeah, as you also point out, there's so many Wild Words series. (laughs) (laughs) One font I'll never be able to use as a dialogue font is Imaginary Friend from Blambot. Not because it's a bad font, but because every time I look at it, I think of Attack on Titan. Yeah. Like, I can't think of <laughs> I think Imaginary I, 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 Friend without thinking of Attack on Titan. That is maybe that's like the a only... good choice for that series. Yeah. I don't think I've seen anything else use it. I haven't I haven't particularly uh, been looking for it, but yeah, that, that's I one that I mentally I associate I with Attack on Titan. There was, like, Titan. one Kodansha digital thing that I saw that used it last year mm. or so. <laughs> and, yeah. like, I'll use it for other uses, like, use the, the normal weight for whispering or, like, the large weight like the heavy weight for yelling because it's yeah got yeah yeah really it's, good it's really yeah. good for that there. yeah there is that sort of like yeah. like I, I even i had people in uh my mentions about this like a while ago where they they associate wild words with like scanlation and like uh mm. and it's like huh okay like yeah i, I mean because it is just because it's so widespread, I guess I could see why you would make that particular association. Like, I, I personally don't see it that way, but it's interesting the sort of, like, associations that people can have with certain fonts. I would say that I, I feel that a tiny, not with Wild Words, I, uh, Anime Ace is the font that... Yeah, mm. yeah, that's... that's, 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 that's anime that's Ace is used in some... It's used in some official books, but also yeah. it's used in... Tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of scanlations. Yep. And yep. Uh, I I can't I I just can't like that font. Not because of the scanlation association, like but because I just don't like how it looks. <laughs> and it's not like it's it's again, it's very wide. Yeah. yeah. I think a lot of people don't know the difference between wild words and anime ace though. I've seen a lot of people say like, oh it's wild words. I'm like, no, yep. that's anime ace. Yep. And like I understand, like you're not staring at this all day like I am, but they are different fonts. Yep. I do wonder how many people use anime ace just because it has anime in the title. Uh, I, that, I think that, that is kind joke. Of a joke yeah. among us. Yeah. It's at yeah. the top of alphabetical lists, it is free to download. Like anyone can download it for free. There's no cost at all. And yeah. <laughs> It's got Please anime in the it. name. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least it's not Manga Temple. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's got manga in the name. It must be. It must be perfect. So, well, that means we have to use it for all of our stuff. Yes. <laughs> well, when we're talking about the versatility of fonts and the considerations of having to use different fonts, that actually does bring us uh, to a question from Miranda at Rod and Hearsay, who asks, like, who pays to license all these fonts when you're a freelancer? And I know Ace. You mentioned that uh, people, some editors, sometimes suggest fonts, or sometimes you're given a guidelines of like, hey, these are what fonts to use. 
But like in general, like have you had to like purchase and use your own fonts, or do sometimes do the editors or the company uh, provide them for you? Yes, I used to buy all of my fonts. <laughs> um, yeah, mm. it was yeah, the, like everything I needed back in the day. I I bought myself, including a hundred and twenty dollar font that we were going to use for the chapter titles that. Editor decided she didn't want it anymore. Cool, 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 cool. cool, cool. But nowadays, almost everything I I get, I request from Viz. Like, if I see something that I'm like, do you guys have a copy of this? They'll be like, yes, here you go. There you go. Nice. Yeah, Yeah. so the short answer to that question is that the person that buys the license to the font is the publisher. They buy really expensive, like, multi-seat licenses for these fonts and then we as freelancers we can ask for the font file so that we can only use that font file with works for that publisher yes and the reason why we do it like that is because we turn in live text so that anybody else down the line so the editor or somebody like in prepress can change the text if they find a typo so if you're a letter and you're paying $300 for these font licenses, please check with your editor and ask yes. them if they'll send you a font file, please. Mm. I know another one of the questions we got from people was, what is FFCU? FFCU stands for Free for Commercial Use. And the reason why we use so many FFCU fonts is because we don't have to pay for the license. We don't have to pay for the license. The publisher doesn't have to pay for the license. It's really simple. If it weren't free for commercial use and the publisher didn't already have a license for it, I can't legally use that font unless I, like I mentioned before, I convert all of the live text to vectors. Mm -hmm. But at that point, Mm -hmm. it's not editable anymore. So I would make a lot of people really angry (laughs) if I made like the dialogue font something that they didn't have a license to and they couldn't edit at all. Yeah. 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 And it can it can like it can depend on which like which publisher you're working with. Like personally, most of the fonts that I've been using are things that I have licensed that uh, I'll talk, like mention to the publisher later, and then I'll vectorize various things that are needed. And in case anyone does actually like need to buy fonts for comics, uh, one thing to to take note of is that Comicraft has a New Year's sale like on the January first of each year. Where every font costs the price of the year in pennies, so you'll get some fonts for twenty dollars and twenty two cents next year as nice. opposed to their their full price. And yes, it's a really mm. great resource. So especially like even if you're just starting out and maybe doing a few things freelance, like pick like two or three like really versatile workhorse kind of fonts, and that way you can like you have something to fit a bunch of different occasions yeah blamba also has a sale every month so if you just follow him on twitter it's like at blambot you can get the coupon code oh yeah and, and blambot fonts are are also just very reasonable and affordable like compared to mo- like most commercial fonts not even just comic fonts yeah and Have please please much- buy your fonts Font making is so time consuming and hard. As yeah. I'm sure yeah. Sarah can can give you the whole process. <laughs> it takes so much work. 
Please support font makers. Yes. The only reason why I make mine free is so that y'all can use them. Because <laughs> there's so much work. I got it. Like weeks of work with really expensive software. So that's why these fonts cost so much. Yes. Yeah, I, 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 so I made my own fonts when I was working on Tagami Bachi. But I didn't have any of the software to make them actual fonts. So I just like painted them and scanned them in. And like they were they were sound effect fonts, so I just like copy and paste them. Oh god, it was it was so janky. God. Yeah. No, absolutely. If you use Sarah's fans, definitely tip her on Gumroad. Yes. Because, yeah, they're so so great and so worth it all. Like she definitely deserves to be compensated for them. Thank you to everybody who's <laughs> giving me money for my fonts so that I can make more. Yeah, I definitely think we. Um... Especially in our little niche of manga lettering, the just like I guess like the tools and the resources when when we have folks out there really just uh, make, making stuff for us, it's it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think to continue on on the subject of like though you know uh, it's when it comes to like you know purchasing like these also working with uh, the publishers to kind of uh, provide compensation for that or provide you with those files. That does also relate to another question from uh, Miranda, who asked, like, what kind of range, uh, what kind of rates should you charge as a letterer starting out? I've never been able to pick my rate. I'm offered a rate. Mm. And sometimes I argue with my editors later to give me a raise. Uh, It usually doesn't work. (laughs) <laughs> um, but i've i've never been given a range or been in a position where i can be like hey this is what i'm looking for for this book but there are those companies that will take advantage of letters and pay you like a buck or two a page which is not okay like no, not, it yeah. really depends what you're doing for a book like if i'm doing a full retouch Anything under eighteen hundred dollars is way low. Yeah. Like uh, eighteen hundred mm-hmm. is is usually pretty low anyway. If I'm subtitling, I think the lowest I've gotten paid is eight hundred or eight hundred and fifty. If I'm subtitling yeah. the sound effects, yeah. So don't accept anything. You know, don't accept pennies for pages. Don't accept dollars for pages. Like it should be, yeah. you know, at least. I'd say five dollars a page. Yeah, Ar- around that, you know, for for subtitling, depending yeah. on what you're doing. Yeah, for subtitling, and like, and it's also important to understand that that's like like that's usually for stuff that's all in print. A lot of digital releases, they will try to go lower and they'll yeah. work through work through agencies. And this is not saying that that work isn't valuable. This is that those that those work agreements that people are taking on are exploitative and yes. they're things that are taking advantage of people, especially people who are just trying to get into the industry. And that's partially why I held out for quite a while and tried not to take any, like I didn't take any industry work or any um agency work because I wanted to make sure I was working with a publisher and working on something that, was equitable because even though I'm not doing this as my primary means of supporting myself, 
I don't want to help contribute to part of like an economic system that is exploiting other people working the same position. Yeah, it's so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've heard people say stuff like, "Oh, you know, well, how else am I supposed to get my foot in the door?" Well, Seven Seas puts out, you know, a call for letterers with some frequency. Yeah. <laughs> You can always... Especially with as much as they put out, yeah. Yeah, you can always put in kind of like a cold call to, you know, other companies. Like, if you email, I think it's jobs at viz.com, you could say, like, hey, I'm interested in lettering. Is there some way I can, you know, get my foot in the door? Like, I can't speak to the company at whole. So please take this with a grain of salt. But talking with some editors from Viz, their opinion is they prefer to work with a person and not an agency. I've heard stories where people will work with an agency for translations. And, you know, like, it's just this extra step. And when they want to put that translator's name in the credits, they're like, no, no, put our agency name. The agency oh, didn't yeah. translate it. The person translated it. Yeah, so that's very common I know with, it, with agency I stuff. I know it's hard. I know it's hard to, you know, like get out there as a person because you don't have those contexts but you know just just try just start just put your best foot forward especially when there are those calls for new letterers you know like you could do it on your own and it is preferred by a lot of the editors i know hmm. and talk talk yeah. with other talk like reach out to other letters talk with them we care we care about lettering we care about wanting to help other people who are interested in that line of work and don't want them to either not find fulfilling work or find or like or not be able to find something that is equitable for them yeah there have been plenty of times when i haven't been able to take on work but i'll be like i think i heard so and so is looking for work or like i had a friend that was trying to get their foot in the door and i was like oh well you know like i have a friend that's trying to do stuff and you know like their stuff is pretty good, you know, maybe give them a look, you know? So yeah, if if you network even with other, well, especially with other letterers, yeah, you know, we'll do our best to help. Yeah. One thing we've talked a little bit about is that people in the industry not understanding what letterers do sometimes <laughs> affects us negatively. And I think that's true for wages. Like, it is really expensive to letter manga. Mm-hmm. I was talking about InDesign and talking about Photoshop. Those two pieces of software cost $60 a month. And I have to have a computer that is beefy enough to run them. And I also have a tablet, which I understand not everybody does hand lettering. But if they're expecting you to do that level of work, they have to compensate you for that. Yeah, mm-hmm. That equipment isn't free. On top of my living expenses, on top of... You know, I deserve to go out to dinner every now and then (laughs) on top of the fact that um, like I'm paying it's freelance work. So I'm having to pay extra taxes because of that. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I insurance and all that. Yeah. Yeah. So it is really nice to feel like the industry cares more about lettering these days. And the more that we talk about what we do and the more we come on these podcasts which thank you so much for inviting all of us it it legitimately makes our lives better because people understand what we do when they hear our voices and 
it can create better working conditions for us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you Mm -hmm. for joining us. I mean, this has been a pleasure to have this conversation. And yeah, I think it's just so valuable to, you know, educate more people about what work actually goes into manga lettering. And you've touched upon like two of the key questions like I wanted to ask is like, what can publishers do to make the jobs of manga letters easier? uh, And what you know, trends could be towards that. But also on the flip side, we are seeing a lot of companies uh, rely on these agencies that poorly pay their freelancers. And they're trying to use these software that uh, automate processes <laughs> to remove people from the process to just make it all cheaper. Yeah, I-, I want to just get your guys' thoughts on like, what can publishers again do to make your work easier? And like, how can we combat or discourage this like inclination for some of these companies to try and do things as cheaply as possible uh, to the consequence of the of the translator and the letterer? So uh, I mean, an easy one is lettered, lettered, uh, lettered, layered files with sound effects. Mm-hmm. You know, if I if we could just take that sound effect off and not have to do any retouching, that saves us the bulk of our work. Yeah. Um, and part of that's kind of like, oh, you know, like sometimes touch up is fun, but it would save us a lot of time. Also, pay us more. I mean, like I know how <laughs> yes. how dumb that might be, but I definitely have. If I want to maintain a specific standard of living, I have to make so much money, which means I have to do so many books, which means sometimes I do more books than I should be doing, which means I have to rush those books. Yeah. So my... Brings down the quality as a whole. Yeah, the quality drops because I just don't have the time to put into it. I, I have a book that takes, I'd say, 120 hours to do. Yep. And it does not pay well. For reasons I will not go into, but it does not pay well. And it's it's my hardest book. I mean, it takes over a hundred hours. And I just feel sometimes when I get to the end, I'm like, I can't give you any more time. Yeah. I'm making yeah. no money on you. I'm making way less than minimum wage. I can't give you the time that you deserve. And I feel bad about that. But I have to make a living, so. And I also yeah. don't want to work. Mm-hmm. I used to work a hundred plus hours a week. And I, oh no, you know what? No, no, no. <laughs> one good thing about being in this industry so long is that I know a lot of editors and I can be a lot more picky with what I choose. So if somebody says, do you want to work on this series? I go, hmm. And they say, the pay is dollar sign, dollar sign, dollar sign. I say, yes, I will take that high paying job. Thank you. Yep. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, so the easy ones are, are, you know, give us easier files to work with. And pay us more. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that publishers could do tomorrow, it's free. It will save you money. It will save... You You don't even have to increase the wages. Edit the script before it gets to the oh letter. Oh, my God! Oh, my There's God. There's no reason why things need to be re-lettered. That's what happens. Yes. Whenever we are doing corrections, we're re-lettering the book. Yeah. And if you had somebody looking over the script anticipating these changes that need to be made especially somebody who understands comics and can look as like a sound effect and think like now we got to change the spelling of this sound effect like right now before it's lettered that will save everybody time yeah. mm-hmm. 
I worked on a a lot of books with unedited scripts done by translators not used to working on manga and uh, not following particular like script guidelines. Um, and you and can let tell. Alone, yeah, you can tell. Uh, yeah. Let alone, I've I've had books where I I <laughs> because I just don't have time to go through this whole like back and forth. Like I've had entire chunks of pages missing translations, and I will just translate it myself. I will just, <laughs> I'm like, I, we don't have time to do this whole back and forth between uh, me telling the editor, the editor telling the translator and having that come back to me. And it's just like, let's look, I'll just do it. You know what you can, the, the editors will, will look at it either way and, and change it if they need to. Um, and I'm, I'm not saying that like, oh, I'm just putting down whatever, even if it's not accurate. I'm not, I'm not doing that. Like I'm, I'm fairly confident on that level in my, in my Japanese skills. But like, there, there are just times where I feel like I'm wasting a lot of time cleaning up after shoddy work. Oh, just oh because yeah. The, just because the process just isn't there. My, my Japanese is incredibly shoddy. Um, but I can look at a script and be like, no, that's a strike of lightning, not lightening. I fix a lot of little misspellings. And like, I, I feel like I have to be careful because like, oh, maybe the, the character talks weird or maybe he keeps using the wrong words. But it's just like, I can generally read just enough Japanese that I'm like, no, this is just a misspelling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel very lucky that I have not, I, like I've had very well edited scripts with the stuff that I've worked on so far. So I, I'm grateful that I haven't had to share in that pain. Yeah. I feel like, like maybe this is this isn't like I don't know if this is directly for publishers, but I think sound effect translations are something that in general people could like just could be tightened up on. I like Mm-mm. I can't my my Japanese understanding is katakana, and that's that's it. Yeah. But that's because of reading sound effects, and I I don't know I I could. I could talk for hours about sound effect translation, so I'm not going to. But I love I love sound effects translation. I think I don't uh, like. Oh, uh, one of one of one of the best Japanese sound effects is like the sound of like train tracks, like gaton gaton. Yeah. Oh, so it's good. really really cool. I love it, and it makes me sad when I see it translated without the same kind of um, yeah, like cadence. Where it's like gaton 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 gaton, like a gaton gaton gaton. It's I, I like that a lot. Yeah, I, I think that's a really cool. Sound effect. You definitely, uh, when, when you work on a project where just like either the translator or the editor just knows how to give those sound effects the right punch, and mm. it just it just makes everything sing. And when you're just like, sometimes you get stuff where it's just like you feel like it's the wrong verb, it's the wrong sort of distorted version of that verb, or they didn't distort it at all, and it just like, or if they're like using a sound effect to describe a mood, and that that mood is like twelve characters long, and you have to fit it. <laughs> Like you're like this is supposed to be equivalent to like three kana, and I'm like, boy, yeah. <laughs> it's right, just I little things like, like that. Squish text. Yeah, yeah. It's just uh, okay. <laughs> All right. Yep. I won't. So. I won't tr- claim any type of knowledge as a translator outside of sound effects. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. I, I look at opinionated on those. Yeah. It, it's not like I'm not gonna. You know, none of us are like expert translators or anything like that, but we all know how comics work, you know, like that is sort of (laughs) at the end of the day, you're reading a comic book in English. And I think the language used should reflect that as closely as possible. So agree. Yeah, Yeah, it's kind of special when you're working on a project with like a translator that, you know, and you're a fan of their work and getting to letter that just. Yeah, if you know them and you could be like, hey, so and so. 
what do you mean by this? This is kind of confusing. <laughs> or like, can one I? Of those, one of those books that I just got the other day was Sweat and Soap, Volume 8, and Ooh. just like flip, just flipping through it. It's full of really, really great sound effects. I, yeah. I really like Matt's translation on those, and they, they fit the mood so well. And also, they, like, they're written in a way that they can be drawn to match stuff nicely. I, I really like how that turned out. Yeah, the translator's name is Matt Trevod. He's mm. amazing. He's so funny. Yeah, loving his work on Ikoku. Like, doing great stuff there. Mm-hmm. Oh, but yeah, it definitely sounds like closer collaboration before the lettering process even begins between the letterer, editor, and translator would make things very smooth or yeah. a lot smoother like to have a proofreading of the script uh, a conversation between letter and translator and editor before <laughs> the lettering even begins to avoid having to do another pass at it and that just taking up even more time yeah but also to just return to the point on like rates and pay like i think you guys should definitely be compensated more uh with all the projects you're doing and what how big manga is uh, right now as an industry in terms of sales and stuff and uh the talk about like you know we have like these big series that are coming out at like a uh, fast rate and you know because there was just so much work to do that some of these might not be getting a lot of time like we talked about a uh, demon slayer on the show recently and when we were reading through the series we noticed there are a lot of like little mistakes here and there, but it you know I I don't fault the translator or the letterer for those because the series is coming out really fast. But at the same time, for one of the highest selling comics uh, in North America right now, um, you'd think you'd want that to have another Passover in terms of proofreading or to ensure like the the quality was at its best. And I think that like relaxing schedules to allow for that or to refine the process so that things could be uh, communication can be more easier between the entire localization team and proofreading can be done more efficiently yeah. and also the work yeah. the labor that goes into making these comics you know as good as they are to read uh and especially as mass entertainment is enjoyed by so many people in this big business like i definitely think that work uh your guys's labor needs to be compensated uh, appropriately for that <laughs> thank you and, yeah, uh, and like, mm, yeah. like that's like that's an opportunity to say like there might be room for collaboration and things like that mm -hmm. where especially with a series like demon slayer was released on like a two-month schedule rather than the normal three-month schedule mm -hmm. for a lot of Shonen Jump volume, so maybe that, like, what's done is done, but if there's another thing that, like, has such a, like, a high pace output, along with the, like, a letterer having to do multiple series usually, it might be worth the while for a publisher to consider, hey, this is one of our biggest sellers, we could, we could probably spare the, the resources to have a few different people working on it in terms of maybe someone helping do a, a lot of the retouch so that the like uh, another person could handle the lettering yeah I'll, like I'll just, oh, Ran, no i'm just like with you ran and sarah on don the don like that's where that's where i was going <laughs> yeah multiple people working on some of these series that are coming out of this fast rate but like definitely lighten the load and potentially allow more opportunities for like up and coming like letterers uh to get in to working on this yeah. too I, I would love a system of of like, I guess it would it would be more work, and that's the last thing we all need right now. Um, but like, <laughs> if there was some sort of just like, if I can 
if I can be like a, a lead letterer to help somebody new sort of like get their f- feet wet and stuff like that, you know, like the process that me and Sarah had on Dandadan, Dan, like I, I could imagine a situation if I if I were a less experienced person, I would be able to follow her lead. And I think that would be a good experience for somebody to be able mm. to like to be able to work on something while also having an experienced letterer kind of like in charge of sort of the project as a whole. But I think I think that's sort of um what's the word? Like like delegation of responsibilities, I guess, does get really tricky, especially on the like the timelines that we have to work with sometimes. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I think it would be cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, We're gonna screw up and start an agency one day. <laughs> oh, no. oh, we pay people well, three dollars. Maybe at least a union. <laughs> uh, yeah, a union. There we go. Uh, if only. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, I, I want to say if if people are reading manga and they do notice mistakes, tell the publisher, because you know, depending on how popular a series is, it will get a reprint. I mean, it may get a reprint if it's popular. But, like, for digital versions, those can be fixed a lot quicker. Yeah. So, like, this, like I've definitely had people come up to me and be like, hey, uh, there's something wrong in this World Trigger volume. And I'm like, oh, do, do, do. And, you know, I, I work with, I work with uh, Ray, my editor, and we get it, you know, all squared away. So, hopefully, the next time it gets printed, it'll be, the, you know, everything yeah. will be taken care of. So, with, don't um... hesitate to say if you see a, a mistake. But be nice. Oh my god, be but nice. be nice! We <laughs> We're all human. Yeah, be nice and don't be yeah. like that one guy that tried to, like, point out something dumb in, um, what was it, Poon Poon or something? <laughs> oh gosh, yeah. I know there was one tweet where somebody was just like, oh, the lettering here is not that good or whatever. I, I forget yeah, exactly. I don't remember yeah, that. Yeah, like, it, there was someone criticizing... Ace's wonderful, like, singing lettering. <laughs> it's yeah, singing yeah. Her artwork, and it was so good. Like, you're going like, to come fight and for all that. all the letterers okay. were just like, nah, no, nah, but, bro. That's a weird choice. Like, out of all the things to pick on in Poon Poon, like, that's a weird one. Yeah. Tell me you've only read the first chapter yeah. without telling me you've only read the first chapter. Hey. <laughs> but yeah, I think those are some good calls to action and like how to potentially improve the process of lettering, make your jobs easier. And yeah. this is some things that hopefully companies will keep in mind as they should for people who are yeah. essential to the, the <laughs> business of getting these comics out to the public and having them be enjoyed and read by so many people. But I want to kind of wrap up our questions for you guys. First, by just asking you, like, what has been your favorite lettering project so far in your career? And what has been the most challenging? Like, just as a a kind of a wrap up, like a summation of like, what, what are the projects you hold most closely and most memorably? Uh, sweat and bet. soap. <laughs> <laughs> sweat and soap is the series that I I based a font off of my hand lettering. That was the first series that I ever did that much hand lettering. It means a lot to me, and I just wrapped up the last volume, Aww. and I got kind of, kind of <laughs> sentimental about it. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, I 
I was going to say that for Sarah, and I want to take a guess for Ace and say it's either World Trigger or Black Clover or both. <laughs> um, <laughs> World Trigger is is my absolute baby. It's not my favorite to letter, though. I would say my favorite okay. to letter is probably maybe Children of the Whale. It's Ooh. really, it's really okay. loose yes, yes. and uh, has a lot of brush stuff in it, and it's 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 fun. And there's a lot of different fonts that work well that Poncha chose like ninety percent of. So you know, again, thank you, thank you, Goddess Poncha. But I mean, w- World Trigger's my baby. If I had <laughs> to pick only one series to ever work on again, it'd be World Trigger because that's my ultimate baby. Mm. <laughs> but I, I think I think Children of the Whale is probably the most fun to letter. Also, um, it's not out yet, but uh, uh Free Run, which will be oh, out in November. Oh yeah, 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 is also lots of fun. Uh, um, oh, I'm excited. I it, yeah, it's, it's I, been fun to letter too. So that please please check that out when it comes out. Um, yeah. yeah. So I, I think I look forward to lettering Children of the Whale and Free Run the most. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'm 100% sure that our friends at uh, Saturday Night Shoggy are very much looking forward <laughs> oh, yeah. to that. Look out. forward to that episode. It's coming. <sighs> for, for, for the it. hardest, yeah. though, I'd say Poon Poon was the hardest. Not because mm. the sound effects and stuff are hard. There, there are times, Asato uses a lot of photos for his backgrounds that he'll redraw. So there's a lot of hard oh, touch-up. But it was such a heavy series. Oh, yeah. That And I, I would letter, we did Omnibuy for that so they'd be you know anywhere from like 400 pages to like 500 pages and because i would put the dialogue on all at like once basically it would be however many days like usually i think it was like three or four days to put the dialogue on on that one depending and it was just like i had to have some time to kind of like emotionally dump because it's such a heavy <laughs> series. Like, okay, let's play some Pokemon now. Let's let's watch a Disney movie, you know. Like, but yeah, nice. See, that's interesting because when 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 I think about the things you letter, Black Clover is kind of the first thing that comes to mind mm. personally. Oh, phys- physically difficult. Yeah, yeah, Black Clover. Oh, okay. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I bet you're one. not looking forward to, or maybe you are looking forward to retouching the stuff from the latest chapters uh, with oh. a battle with uh, Magicula and stuff. Oh my god. I mean, it's all par for the course for, for Black Clover. <laughs> Though there was one sound effects where my uh, my editor, Alexi, he has the, the sound effect is behind like beams of light and all these magic arrays and he has the in the script he has the uh the translation he says lol isn't being a letterer fun oh man <laughs> here what about aiden uh so so far i've only worked on just a handful of things but i would say that School Zone Girls has stood out to me both as the thing that has been the most difficult, but simultaneously the most rewarding on that same front. It's Since it's a gag manga, it's just full, it's just nonstop, constant jokes and things going on, and the like average page count per chapter is about six pages, wow. because it was like published on Pixiv. I think, I mean, in the first mm. volume, most, pa- most chapters were 
four pages long, and it's gotten gradually longer as it's gone. But with that style of storytelling, uh, the artist Ningia was still filling each of those chapters with a full story arc, which meant sound effects and sound effects and sound effects everywhere. <laughs> and like by the third volume, which I wrapped up work on recently, it was not only like just that same kind of stuff and constant experimentation with different like types of sound effects in there. It was just physically longer than the other books. It was 200 pages plus instead of like 160 something. And it was, it was a real trial. And (laughs) during that third volume, I switched over to drawing, I'd say about like 75% of the sound effects by hand instead of using fonts. Double Mainly, mainly out of just like, I don't know if I can match this with a font as well as I could without spending more time deliberating between different fonts than (laughs) if I just drew it right away. So that was partially just done out of necessity for my own sanity and forcing my way through it. And I'm really pleased with the results. Hmm. So what what was the name of that series again? It's called, yeah, School Zone Girls. And I I hate to be a tease, but I've got a project coming up that I'm, very excited for that I can't talk about. Oh, really if it's the really one that I'm this. thinking don't, of, don't tease us like that. If it's the one that I'm thinking of, I'm excited. A lot of the people here do already know it. <laughs> yeah, yes. Well, I don't. I, don't think I, do. I can tell you, Colton. Don't worry. I feel so out of the loop. We can't reveal all of our secrets. <laughs> no, I don't want to break any NDAs. <laughs> That's good. I'll wait like a good boy. So. I guess out of everything, I, because I, I keep forgetting you haven't like lettered a whole lot yet. But what, what's what's been your favorite thing? I, I would say it's it is School Zone Girls as well. It's like okay, the characters have grown on me quite a lot, especially like as, as they've gone on, and I think especially with how it changed from being very short form with skits to actually having some more character development with the later volumes. And I'm, it's just a it's a fun series. I like it quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, well, I'll have to check that out later. Yeah, it's a good. One. And Brandon, what about you? What are some of your favorites, and what has been the hardest? Um, I think to su- the surprise of nobody, Kaiju Number Eight is uh, that <laughs> that manga is my baby. It is just so like, just like genetically engineered to be my taste. Just like just pinpoint <laughs> baby. Just the the just just. Write it down on a whiteboard, circle it, like, this is the braided bovia manga. This kaiju number eight. <laughs> um, so I, I'm sort of sad that uh, the first volume isn't out yet as of this recording, so I can't show off any of the, the sound effects that I did that I think are pretty sweet. And I think it is sort of the culmination of, like, my whole career, because I think there would have there would have been a time where I thought that it would be really challenging. But I, I've worked on so many, like, just incredibly dense action manga, like Dragon Ball Super and uh, uh, the Transformers manga, that, like, in comparison, mm-hmm. Kaiju Number 8 is kind of like, I'm, I'm not going to call it a walk in the park, but it is sort of like, I, I know everything that I need to do. There, I don't have to spend that much time figuring out what I want for the look or how to achieve what I think is sort of, like, the best approach for that manga. It just feels like... Everything clicks into place, so I think you are one with the mm-hmm. kaiju. <laughs> yeah, that's how it feels like. It really does. Brandon is kaiju number one hundred. Yeah. Oh, oh, Prince the kaiju, I guess you or kaiju infinity. 
Ooh, there we go. <laughs> King Kaiju. King Kaiju. It's so interesting that you say that, Brandon, mm. because I have a book coming out this month, the Animal Crossing manga. Yeah. And when I was lettering it, I was like, if I had been lettering this at the beginning of my career, this would have floored me. Yes. But having like eight years of experience, I just, I know what to do with each panel. And it's such a weird feeling, yeah. but it's awesome. Yeah. I am holding that book in my hand right now since it got shipped out early Ooh. for Right Stuff. And Ooh. it is gorgeous. It is so, so nice. I'll have to... I love the snot bubble dialogue <laughs> that you got in that first chapter. <laughs> uh, for people who don't know, there's one character in the manga who just speaks through snot bubbles so <laughs> <laughs> i have to make letters look like snot bubbles that's it's so disgusting it's really fun oh my god that's that so sounds cool. pretty great i can't wait to see that okay, can, I, can i just say real quick about kaiju number eight brandon yeah. that and i think you you tweeted this out recently but i really love some of the work that you did in uh, chapter 43 in particular especially uh particular page near the end that i thought was very well oh, done. yeah yeah I that one came together. I, I was because I, I didn't hear like uh, I didn't look at the chapter until I started working on it. Like I could have looked at it earlier, but David, the translator, just like he he sent me a screenshot of that panel, and he was just like, <laughs> like oh no, because <laughs> <laughs> um, because it was um, uh -huh. yeah that was baked into the art. Like it's just such an in integral like. The text is integral to the artwork in that particular panel. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I, I definitely I, I thought about how I would approach it a lot, and I still, uh, like I mentioned on Twitter, I think I I won't count out the possibility that I might like give it another swing at the uh, for the volumes, but you know that's that's uh, the problem for me for a year from now. No, it was so <laughs> cool. And I love the conversation I, I saw you and Hella the OACA have about like comparing the your lettering on it to the Japanese and how in the Japanese there's kind of a different effect. It was like almost a delayed effect, but in the English with your lettering, it was like almost like a simultaneous yeah. kind of effect you got of the hit. And I thought that was so interesting how just that a little bit of shift in the placement of the text can cause a completely different read of like what the action yeah, is. And that is it's so fascinating. That's what the, that's what I love about this work is just being able to to dictate. No, and I'm not I'm not going to talk like that particular uh, that particular reading of it was intentional. It was more mm -hmm. kind of I think I think my placement was more bore out of just like the limitations of the language and the text. You know, that's that's what the job is. But through those limitations come like really interesting and you know different ways to to read a manga and just like how, how how it makes you feel and that's that's what i'm all about you know just trying to mm. Mm -hmm. absolutely there are especially like one or two moments i think earlier on in the series where like some of the sound effects are like affected by the action going on in the yeah. comic and i'm really interested in like how you're gonna like approach I those think, in particular um, volume three has the one where it's like hoshina is like cutting through the sound effect to hit a kaiju <laughs> and i i that <laughs> That's just good yeah, comics right gonna there. Good. I don't know. I don't know how in the heck I'm gonna do that, but we'll, uh, I definitely really like the the challenges that Kaiju Number Eight gives me. Is very like it feels interesting enough to keep me on my toes, but it's not insurmountable. And it, it just it feels mm -hmm. good to be able to handle it with all of the experiences that I've uh, built up over the course of my career. And so, yeah, yeah. Well, absolutely. Can I take a guess and say that you're 
possibly your hardest lettering job was probably Transformers, just because oh, of how old yeah. it was. Yeah, yeah. I could talk for a long time about the sorts of wacky stuff that I needed to do on Transformers. I'll, I'll keep it brief, but yeah. for, for those who don't know, that is a manga that ran in Japan in the 80s alongside the Japanese dub of the original Transformers cartoon. So they're sort of like companion material, basically. And being a manga from the 80s means that the um, the materials that we got are very old. <laughs> um, and they were actually, a lot of it was drawn with a mix of traditional screen tone for grays, but also watercolor. Like, the artist would just use gray watercolor to um, depict mm-hmm. value. And replicating that was just, like, it was crazy. On top of all of just the complete density of the sound effects. And on, on top of, because it was drawn in watercolor, or it was shaded with watercolor in part, the artwork is not bitmapped, so it's not like a hard black and white. It's still just plain grayscale. So you see a lot of like the softness of the ink work in the the materials. And so uh, mm. having to to retouch mm. around that was a really unique challenge. On top of just on top of just being one of the densest manga I've ever worked on in terms of action <laughs> sound effects, it was it was oh, an man. experience. Uh, and I uh, in the moment I I was dying but looking back on it i'm really happy i'm really happy with how it turned out but yeah that's oh, well, they're beautiful we'll to... books yeah no we're definitely have to cover it with you sometime because yeah yeah that was an insane project yeah that, that definitely deserves like its own episode of the podcast at some point yeah that was also i think the, the timeline is a little messy so i don't quite remember i think i worked on that before dragon ball so the transformers was my first like really action heavy manga and it just like it just destroyed me <laughs> yeah but, but even even in comparison now like like dragon ball is hard and it takes a lot of time but i'm just i'm kind of uh, after like seven volumes of it i'm kind of like oh yeah, yeah i'm just used to it <laughs> i guess yeah i used to think that like action manga would like take less time just because like there's not like a lot of text or like dialogue but then i have to re- then I realize like yeah <laughs> yeah, you have to redraw all the sound effects. It's like, oh, okay, maybe it's maybe it's not that much easier. I yeah, don't know. It could be if you're just doing some simple subtitles, just slap it on there with one single font. Good to go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think even even the wordiest manga I work on, like the like doing dialogue for a really chatty series, is like three or four days, maybe. But you know, mm-hmm. like a really action heavy series can take weeks just to do all the sound effects and touch up. <laughs> Dang. Yep. Yeah. So it's it's a good thing Dragon Ball Super is monthly. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. And the volumes only come out like every couple of months. Like yeah, it's like every, every, uh, three it's like every three. Yeah. Uh, so I, I get a lot of time on Dragon Ball, so I'm not stressed out about it usually. Though sometimes sometimes I procrastinate and it and it gets bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, the freelancers uh, curse. Uh, yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I'm. I'm definitely keeping a list of uh, some of these titles. I, I haven't, like, checked out some of these I've been meaning to, but I'm definitely uh, keeping a list here, hopefully checking them out soon. Absolutely. But, yeah, like, thank you guys for, like, sharing some of your favorite projects with us. And definitely, whenever we get to talk about them on the show, we'd love to have you on to talk about your work on them. Yeah. But mm-hmm. 
that about does it for our questions for you guys in terms of like lettering as an art and career and your process and histories and relationships with it. However, we do have a, I know we've already been running a little long, but we do have a few stray fan questions that I think we could get through fairly quickly that I would like to address if you guys are up for it. Yeah. Lightning round. Let's go. Sure. Yeah. Lightning round. Yeah. So let's start with a fun question by Bun Fundine, who asks, what's your favorite part of the process? The thing that you have the most fun with? Being done. (laughs) 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 That's a good one. Yeah. I'll I'll, I'll add on to that. Getting a copy of your work in the mail and flipping through it. Yes. Yes. Mine is uh, thinking about it for nine hours in the office and then coming home and feeling like, hmm, I, I'm i tired. I don't want to work on this now. But I had a great time <laughs> thinking about wanting to do it for hours. <laughs> it's like you're doing image yeah. training. Yeah. yeah. The feeling of satisfaction when I finish a good page and I'm like, yeah. yeah. Okay, I'm done with oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when you spend way too long on it, yeah. but then it looks amazing and you're like, yes. yeah. Yes. Like, I said yeah. all day, but look at that. <laughs> yeah. I think I can definitely sympathize and agree with that from an artistic perspective. Like, you know, the process of creating is so arduous. But when you have the thing finished and you can put it out there in the world, like you have that satisfaction being very proud of the work you did. Yeah. Um, Sarah, do you have anything else to add on to like your favorite part of the process? Oh, uh, no, it was spending way too much time on something. I'm very good at that. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. And so we have another question from Ron Harrisy, who we answered a few of your questions before, but there was one we hadn't gotten to, which is, can you explain when it's best to completely erase and redo screen tones? Oh, I think this was in response to one of my tweets. So <laughs> with some of the publishers, our sound effects are completely replaced. And like I said, we have to retouch around where the sound effect the sound effect isn't. So one of the things that letters do is we try to use as much of the original sound effect as possible and when it's possible like heck yeah i mean (laughs) we don't have to cover up as much as the of the art we don't have to spend as long retouching it's a win-win in my book and i don't think editors have an opinion on it with screen tones in particular you've got a handful of different types that you might be dealing with like the ones that were physically pasted on for old older analog manga like the stuff that are and those tend to be more irregular when they're scanned in but that irregularity itself, I find to be a blessing because it makes it easier to approximate it and not have to make sure it's pixel perfect and lined up, which can happen. Mm, that is true. And also screen tones could be gradient screen tones, which are <laughs> which are great, but they could also be radial screen tones, which I never want to deal with if I can help it, <laughs> where mm-hmm. it's gradient, but at an angle, curving. Yeah, well. It's terrible. I can, um, I just, through my experience on, on working stuff, on working on stuff like Transformers and Dragon Ball, uh, and just my background in art, like, if I have to touch up line work, I can just, I can bang that out. Like, if, if I have to reconstruct details, I can usually, you know, look at other parts of the art, and I can, I can visualize it and draw it really fast. I'm really confident in my abilities at that point. Screen tone just screeches everything to a halt, and it just yep. It it just it just yeah, takes forever, so like, and you can't cheat it. Like like definitely mm-hmm. like a little uh, a workflow that I have found that helps tremendously with that is white everything out on its own layer, 
and then make that maybe semi-transparent a bit to, so that you know what portions were actually white and what portions were actually covered up. And then try to handle line work first and then fill in screen tone underneath Yeah, that. that's what I do. Yeah. yeah, I learned that from you, Brandon. Yeah. The like semi-transparent thing. Yeah, I have an I have a Photoshop action that creates a new layer at a eighty percent opacity. So I could just like click that button and then start like drawing, erasing the Japanese sound effects like in pure white. But because the layer is, um, you know, it, it's at a lower opacity, I can still see under it. And then when I'm done, I just put the opacity to one hundred percent, and you're done. And if, nice. if you leave it at if you leave it at that opacity, you can also auto select that. Like you can like use the wand to select that area that's that like shade of gray. So that way, if you need to test out something with like content aware fill or bound in your area that you're working with, you've got a really yeah. good accurate boundary of saying I don't need to retouch anything outside this area. Yeah, yep, 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 yep. yeah. That's that's one thing we didn't awesome. go quite into, but Photoshop's content aware like AI tools are really useful sometimes. Uh, sometimes. sometimes. Yes. Yeah. They, they, I feel like there's a sort of... At this point, I can kind mm. of predict the things that it'll do well and what will break it. And so I, I've definitely... I've talked to folks who, who have had to sort of like work around really sloppily done content-aware work, which can be not fun, but sort of mm -hmm. when you know what you're doing with it, it can save a lot of time. Mm. Uh, it is it is practically worthless on Dragon Ball because of all the <laughs> so, so yeah, to answer the question, retouching is really hard. So if we can avoid doing it, it it benefits everybody. Yeah, yeah. And that saves into another question. And speaking of avoiding retouching or something just to help with that, Amur had a question about you know they saw that some letters use parts of the original sound effects to avoid retouching the whole thing and. Is that a thing that's usually okay with editors, or you yep. can get away with it? Yeah, yeah, no yeah. problem. Yeah, yeah. In fact, Plus, it mm -hmm. leads to like it leads to some of the best looking stuff sometimes. Mm -hmm. Like, like <laughs> I've mentioned the name already multiple times. Sabrina Heap is a master of this with things like Claymore and Chainsaw Man, where uh, she's not reusing the entire Kana most of the time, but like like one straight line out of it, or one curve here and one curve there, a brushstroke here, and it it looks amazing, and it's partially because it's retaining some of that original work and keeping it so true to the spirit of it. Yep. Nice. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's awesome when you can incorporate some of the original sound effects for, like, the English versions. And I think you mentioned earlier about, like, sometimes, like, uh, covering up some of the original arc with your sound effects instead of like re-erasing your original thing like the whole uh hide the dirty you can certainly go wrong with that but uh, it's something that you just have to just try to learn and get an eye for and understand like oh what's the line weight here what's the what's the trajectory of this thing will this line work for an english letter or does it need to be Will there need to be a retouch here? Mm -hmm. Bingo. And that also brings up Amir's other question: Is like when you have a scene that it requires like some advanced drawing ability, like how can you deal with it? Like when you can't hide uh, anything but just the text. Oh, I can actually. Uh, you cry. Yeah, you cry. <laughs> I got a real good one. Um, and I, I, I don't know if I'll ever be able to show it, but I did. I recorded myself handling this page, uh, from the first volume of Kaiju Number Eight. There is a, it's like 
It's like the last panel of the first chapter where there's an alarm going off and it's like a up like a big above the ground shot of like the hospital. And so like there's just like this giant like alarm woo sound effect going across the entire panel. And of course I can't cover up everything. And because like it's just line work with a bunch like with, like with a shot of a city. So I had I had to bust out my three point perspective chops <laughs> to really like to redraw parts of the building so that they would be accurate to the perspective. That was probably the most like I got to put my thinking cap on and I got to make sure that I am sort of u- using my drawing ability to accurately reconstruct major parts of the artwork. Yeah, that art yeah. skill know how came in handy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It felt, it, it, seeing the final product, which I'll, I'll be talking about this forever once that volume is out, but uh, <laughs> seeing it done was incredibly satisfying. Yeah, it, it's just, a, I mean, as dumb as it sounds, you got to bang your head against some things sometimes. Yes, yeah, like yeah. <laughs> uh, Just like a page in Schools on Girls, Volume 1, had a flattened gradient screen tone that was like swirls going into it, but then it had text on top of it. Ah! But the text was like semi-transparent ah! with a different gradient ah! no. No. on it. <laughs> and uh, I, I mean, I did that page like three separate times using different methods, and I'm pleased with those results. And then I found a much better way to do it uh, about a week later. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's how it works. After I submitted it. Yeah. But I mean, I, like, I think the result was still fine. I just found a much quicker way to get the effect that yeah, I needed. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes <laughs> it takes banging your head against it to come to the solution long after you need it. Yep. <laughs> well, speaking of creative solutions, this is a question we sort of talked about uh, before, but Edamon Atari asked, like, was there ever a case where an editor said you went too far, asked you to tone things down? And Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Please um, stay out of the gutter and the safety. <laughs> actually, on one of the shoujo titles that I work on, Love Me, Love Me Not, the sound effects are very delicate, and I'd drawn them by hand, and I was used to doing like sweat and soap which has like really thick like animated sound effects but on love me love me not it's very delicate and the editor gave me some feedback that i needed to tone it down to match how delicate and dainty those sound effects were and i totally agree with her feedback and that's one instance where feedback like it made the comic better Mm -hmm. yeah especially since that series has like a, a very soft aesthetic like, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, don't know if, I don't know if I can think of a specific example, but just uh, I, I've definitely uh, I, I can get a little crazy with uh, my sound effect placement. <laughs> um, same, so same. I, I'm, I'm usually <laughs> really good about making keeping them readable, but sometimes, like in in the moment, I'll just go like, "Oh yeah," and then I'll you know I'll come back and look at it and be like, "Oh yeah, they were the the editor was right to tell me to sort of like bring bring it back a little bit." <laughs> yeah, same. Uh, yeah, but that's something I really enjoy doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I just don't have. I haven't gone too crazy on anything yet, so I don't, don't think I have any examples. There's still yet. time. Do it. it feels <laughs> really good. Give me the chance. Yeah, <laughs> you never know. <laughs> but yeah, then I think that brings us to our final wrap-up questions that come from David Weikarps who has a lot of really fun ones to wrap up our combo with. Starting with, what's a comic that really inspires your lettering, manga or otherwise? Maybe even both. Uh, this is the most on-brand answer. Uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! <laughs> yeah! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just, 
Yeah. Hmm. I'm shocked. <laughs> Anybody who's known me for about 30 seconds. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that, that is uh, something I'm always trying to achieve and always trying to chase. <laughs> well, what specifically about Yu-Gi-Oh! really inspires you? I love both the Kasuki Takahashi's original sound effects and the way that they were adapted, specifically by, um, I think the letterer is like Eric Erbis, and he worked on, mm. it was like somewhere around a third of the way through Duelist, up through the end of Duelist, and there's, there's, like, a, there's like a particular 10 to 15 volume chunk that are just, they just like nail how, like, how closely they match. Takahashi's original sound effects, and I've ever since I was a kid, I was just like, "Oh man, that rules!" So that is that is always something that mm-hmm. I'm trying to like. I just wish I was Yu-Gi-Oh. Really, <laughs> <laughs> one day you'll get your chance to work yeah. on a Yu-Gi-Oh series. We've come full circle. For me, I would like I I just read it this year, but Blade of the Immortal is yeah. The, oh yeah, I've been seeing your tweets about out that. To me, like like for one thing, my favorite kind of comic girls are the ones that have that kind of like rougher, gritty art style and. Hiroki Samura's art is totally that, but like there's also like a playful like side of the dialogue at points, and the the way that Studio Proteus handled the whole localization was really tremendous with both like the translation and the adaptation and the way they rearranged art and redid sound effects. And I uh, think Tomoko Saito <laughs> lettered the the vast majority of that series, and there's an incredible confluence of the way that there's like a custom dialogue font that fits it so well. And then all of the sound effects and asides are drawn by hand just to match the the style. And it's like, like everything that I want to aspire to do, especially, but in the context of like my favorite kind of like action manga kind of stuff, it, it just looks incredible. Yeah. Way the mortal is awesome. Uh, I'm going to go with kind of a potentially boring one. I don't know. But I love uh, the original English sound effects in uh, My Hero Academia. Mm. I think the way that Horikoshi Sensei uses sound effects, especially when, when he does it in English, and it like, I love when sound effects like interact with a character or, you know, like, like they're, like like we were talking about the uh the kaiju number eight where it's kind of like you know cutting through the sound effect or cutting through text you know stuff like that like I find that really cool and I feel like Hiraka does that a lot and I I really go like oh oh that's so clever ooh every time I see it yeah of course you sound effects are like used so well to complement the action I still love that one moment during the um the class A and B fights where i forget which character it was but uh, there was a particular moment where like where sound effects played a huge part and one of the characters was literally like how are they going to handle this overseas <laughs> yeah. Yeah, i remember that being like Ooh, for the first time i'm glad i'm not lettering this series horikoshi's <laughs> <laughs> uh, very self-aware <laughs> For me, I don't think there's a specific book, but I read a lot of indie comics, and something that's special about them is that they're done mostly completely by one person, especially from Shortbox. I don't know if it's it's a box with a bunch of different indie comics. They're really short, not more than like 20 pages. And 
reading comics that are done completely by one person is kind of special because whenever I'm lettering manga, I'm trying to think about like, what is the artist trying to do here? Especially when doing sound effects, like how did they do it? What was their intention? And in indie comics, I can see a lot of hand lettering. I don't know if that's like, I don't know why that happens so much in indie comics, but I love seeing the hand lettering and how well it works with the line art because it's often done with like the exact same brush that the art was drawn with. Mm-hmm. I don't read a lot of manga. I mostly read English language comics. No, no, there's a lot of cool experimental stuff that goes on with indie comics because of how the art- artist gets some freedom to like, uh, yeah, just play around with things more and explore a lot of cool ideas. So yeah, it's yeah. cool to get inspiration from that and seeing like what other people are trying to innovate or trying to, to play around with and see what works and what you can apply to your yeah. own work. Like I was gonna say, like like the that idea of using the same like pen and Im- implements there, I think is like I I love that. That's that's really really cool. And I was gonna say like, oh, I like the sense of cohesion, but you can also aim for something outside of that. And I think that what that makes me think of is it's more about intentionality. And I I love seeing, I love seeing a lot of intentionality behind the the lettering in comics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. And we have another request from David that asks uh, on the subject of like Japanese sound effects. Like, what is your favorite Japanese sound effect? Gatan gatan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, I'm boring. Doki doki. Also. Obviously. Yes. Oh yes, of course. Gao. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm boring. I love a good dong. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> yeah. I was I was gonna say mm. that too. Yeah. Bang. Yeah. Mm. I'm also I'm very partial to katakana sound effects since they're mostly used in like action stuff. I can't read hiragana sound effects myself, so I I, I feel like my knowledge in that area is very lacking. <laughs> but there's time. They're yeah. cute. I like them. <laughs> so round and bouncy. <laughs> and relate that I mean, touched on how good Horikoshi's are, but who's the other mangaka that you think uses lettering really effectively? Hmm. In Dandadan, there are a lot of dialogue balloons that were done by the artist Tatsu, and they are hand-lettered, and it's the the characters, like, yelling. And whenever I was offered to work on this series, I looked at the Japanese, um, which was already available, and I saw that those balloons were lettered by hand and i was like oh man i want to do that (laughs) i want to letter that so bad so um it's something i mean like like i was talking about artist's intention he chose to letter this this specific way and i was like okay i gotta he did it by hand i gotta do it by hand (laughs) oh yeah that's like slightly like on that same thing like the lettering is usually done by the editor in japan so it's not something that's handled by the the mangaka so when you see something that's hand lettered in Japanese, that means that the artist themselves did that. Like it was their choice and their like and their hand, not just something that was delegated. So it feels good to try to like like carry that over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, as far as like another artist that that does some of that stuff really well, I think Tayo Matsumoto's art is really really neat with yeah. how he'll draw lots of 
labels and signs on things, be it in Japanese or in English, in, in a, like a series like Ping Pong or Number 5, which, oh my gosh, I cannot recommend those enough, both from their original comic perspective, but also from Darren Bennett's just transcendental lettering on them. And there's a a naturalness to even the stuff that is supposed to be printed that looks really cool that I love. Yeah. I think my basic answer for this would have just been Tatsuki Fujimoto with Chainsaw Man. Yeah, I was, <laughs> I was, was yeah. going to say that too. Yeah. Some of the most <laughs> unique stuff I've seen in a while. Mm-hmm. But no, I also think Kaiju number no. 8 is super good. And as I do uh, Jujutsu Kaisen, like... I think there's a lot of cool dynamic sound effects in those different series. Mm. Mm-hmm. All great stuff. Oh, what am I doing? How can I forget Joja? Oh. How can I forget <laughs> the obvious? Oh, yeah. How can I yeah. forget it? Duh. I forgot Joja. Oh, duh. Wow. That's things that got me into manga, of course. Yeah. Wow. Araki's is unbeatable. They're yeah. so integral to the art and the compositions that yep. uh you know viz won't dare change them for the english release for good reason like yeah no the yeah the do 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 yeah like everything in jojo is just, so iconic yeah that's wonderful <laughs> i can only imagine a world where viz decided to like re re-letter all of jojo and instead of go, 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 you just have menacing. <laughs> I <laughs> am glad I <laughs> am not that letter. I could not live yeah, up. You can look at the, the Italian versions. Uh, the, the Italian versions of JoJo actually have fully replaced oh, sound effects. Okay. Mm. Okay. Are they good? Yeah. And those were done. Uh, uh, they're done around twenty years ago, and I would say they're like they're pretty good overall. But like, uh, okay. just some of the some of the quirks of the era. Yeah. But the I like I think. I'm actually thinking more like the the dialogue looks a little bit odd, but the the sound effects are pretty good hmm. if if a little large at points. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't. I would like. I think uh, it's a lucky break that there isn't like retouch of Iraqi's lettering in uh, English because I wouldn't envy that letter at all for how much work that would be to try and live up to that. There are definitely some manga where, like, as much as I appreciate the work that goes into uh, retouching sound effects to be in English, there are there are definitely some manga and, like, some artist works I, I do just prefer to be left untouched, just personally speaking. Yeah. But that's just me. I definitely think it should be, like, a case-by-case thing. Yeah. Well, uh, if you guys have any other examples, or if not, uh, we can move on to our final question from David, who has a fun desert island question, which twist for Letterman. You get one dialogue, one title, and one sound effect typeface. So, what would you guys pick? Sorry, it was one... Uh, run, run that by me again? I, I so, know. desert island, and you only get a choice uh, of one dialogue, one title, and one sound effects typeface to mm-hmm. use, presumably to letter a project. So, what would you yeah, pick? Yeah, yeah. Uh-oh. Well, I just lettered Animal Crossing Deserted Island. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And I used BB Spinarak and CC Pleasure Point. And then I I drew all the sound effects by hand. <laughs> there you yeah. go. Yeah. I, I would say I would say like the this font I brought up earlier, ready uh, ready for anything BB. I think I could use that on just about anything. And for titles, maybe. New Roden Pro, which is like a Japanese title font 
it's I mean, but it's got a lot of different weights. I think it's the font used on like the menus on like the PSP and the PS3. Oh, huh. But its different weights can make it really useful for stuff, and it's just nice and legible. And I'd also want to just just give me like a single brush to do the sound effects. With. <laughs> I, uh, I think I do probably Blambot Classic because it's pretty workable for anything. I think for title, I'd use Stone Sands, which is very boring, but it has a lot of weight, and I use it for a stupid amount of things in the background of a lot of series, and and for some titles. And for uh, sound effect, Tim Sale Brush, because it's got a good variety between the uppercase and lowercase. It's got an uh, italic, uppercase and lowercase, and it can be adapted very easily. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tim Sale Brush was also okay, my actually, answer. I can uh, I can revise my sound effects thing. I would go with a, a Beelze Brush BB from Blambot. Mm, that's a good one. It's also got like four like like eight different weights <laughs> and a lot of different variation between the the like, uppercase and lowercase versions of letters, so that gives it a great variety Is that of cheating to of use outputs. different uh different weights of the same font. No, nah, it's, it's a <laughs> it's font family. Same, yeah. <laughs> But even with that, I would say I would like even any single weight of of bales of brush is really useful. Yeah, yeah, it's really nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my my answer would be also Tim Sale brush, uh, and for dialogue, probably probably might make right pro. And I don't feel any attachment to uh, any particular font to use for titles. Okay, <laughs> so, I don't know. I'll scribble it in stone. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Yeah. Uh, I guess. Is that about it for questions? I think that about wraps us up for questions from Ooh. folks on Twitter. And yeah, thank everyone for like sending in some great questions. I've got some really great responses and yeah, that, that great was discussion going. Great, great, great yeah. questions this time. Yeah. Yeah, that initial tweet we sent out got a lot of attention, I think. Yeah, I'm so glad people were excited for this. And I am so happy uh, how this turned out. Thank you guys so much for coming on to have this letters roundtable uh, with us. Like, it was so great to, like, just talk about lettering, go into the ins and outs of it, and the profession, and as a career. And, yeah, it's just great to have, like, your guys' like, different uh, perspectives and experience coming into it that you could bounce off each other. It's just really fun just listening to you guys talk about this crime you're so passionate about. And this was yeah, a lot Thank of fun. you so much. Yeah, thanks yes. for having us. Yes. Mm-hmm. I appreciate you like taking taking a platform to talk about this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Absolutely. We really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. We love to just talk about the work of manga localization, localizers, and like the work that goes into like the manga that we read. <laughs> like a lot of times, we can take it for granted. But I just love hearing yeah. like the anecdotes of people who have worked on it and the work that goes into it. And it just makes me appreciate this all the more. And if we can educate like some listeners out there also, like all the hard work swims and good and like how cool a career it can be as well. Sometimes so, yeah, that, I think that's mm-hmm. an awesome thing. So I'm, I, yeah, I, I really love doing these. Mm-hmm. I hope listeners get a lot out of this episode in particular. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, seriously, no, this was really great. Thank you guys so much for coming on. And uh, I'm sure I could speak for Lum too when I say we can't we can't wait to have you back on in the future at some point for whatever we want to talk about, especially if it's something that like you guys have lettered in particular. We'll, we'll definitely 
have to set up something in the future. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I guess we can go ahead and start with uh, having you guys plug all your stuff and let people know where they can find you. And uh, why don't we start with our, our new guest, Sarah? Hey, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at S-A-L-I-N-S-L-E-Y. That's my username. I also have a website, Sarah.Pizza. That's a good website name. That one up. Good, yeah. <laughs> How about Ace next? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Kaito Ace. That's K-A-I-T-O-U underscore A-C-E. I don't talk about lettering nearly as much as everybody else, but Final Fantasy fifteen all the time! <laughs> yeah! <laughs> huh. Arguably more important than any letter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Aiden, how about you go next? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at KoiBoyBboy, like a just misspelling <laughs> of Cowboy Bebop, and I never shut up about lettering, because <laughs> I'm usually tweeting during the workday when I wish I could be lettering. <laughs> Daydreaming about lettering. Yep. It's, it's like Your you mind's said, full all, of that's letters. That's all you ever think about. <laughs> Yep. That's all you ever think about at, gotta, your, at, your, at your day job. Take some pictures of what I'm reading during my lunch break, post them over the next few hours. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yep. Uh, and we saved the best for uh -huh. last. King Legend branded himself. Wow. Please let people know where they can find yeah, you. Yeah, uh, I'm on Twitter as at Brandabovia, just my name, no like underscore or special characters or anything like that. I occasionally do... Uh, yeah, I guess we can call them deep dives on the stuff that I think is, like, really special. Like, the, the things that I think are worth highlighting. Um, which, uh, that, that sounds bad. Uh, uh, that's not to, like, that's not to put down all the other work that I do. Um, but sometimes, like, I just can't think of anything interesting to talk about. So if, if I have something interesting to say about something I worked on, I'll say it. So that can sometimes mean that I talk a lot about lettering, and sometimes that can mean I can go, like, months about really bringing it up at all. I think most often I'm just complaining about how tired I am. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, if you're at all a fan of... Uh, I talk about Kaichin Brain a lot. I talk about Dragon Ball Super a lot, just both from the perspective of work and as a fan. And yeah, just if you're if you're at all interested in any, any of the series that I work on, then yeah, you know, check me out. All right. Well, again... Please go follow everybody here, especially if, if you love their work or if you if you haven't checked out their lettering work on the many series they, they work on. What are you doing? You should go check yeah. that out. <laughs> mm -hmm. You can read a lot of what I work on and for free. Yeah. Literally free. <laughs> <laughs> Costs or $2 you. a yeah. month on the yeah. Shonen Jump app. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, this was really this was really cool. I'm sure that if we have any other like lettering type things we want to talk about in the future, maybe maybe we'll do something like this again. I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, we, we've been going on for kind of uh, for for a long time, but that's okay. We had a lot to talk about. But I, I want to let everybody kind of get back to all the stuff they have to do after this. <laughs> they have a lot to work on. And I guess Lum, why don't we head on into community shoutouts and end the show? Yeah, let's uh, head into our wrap up and uh, dash a letter off. Thanks again to Aiden, Ace, Sarah, and Brandon for coming on the show for our Letterers Roundtable. It was a really fun and informative discussion that I think really covered lettering as an art and career in depth. But for as much ground as we covered, there was even more we could have explored and talked about regarding lettering and its place in the industry. 
And that's where our community shoutouts come in for this episode. And man oh man, do I have a lot of them to share with you today. First, I want to acknowledge our friend Marion's late tweets that they sent after we had already finished recording the podcast. They gave a very sweet shout out to Aiden for helping them appreciate the art of lettering, and they celebrated everyone for being incredibly hard workers whose work makes them fall in love with comics all over again. Marion followed up with a question asking how they felt about subtitling sound effects versus redrawing them. Sarah replied to Marion, saying that every method has its purpose, though she dislikes reading simple subtitles, but acknowledges they make simulpods possible. Reading fully replaced sound effects feels the most natural to her, but she feels the letterer has to be very skilled to pull it off, so it's not feasible for every book. She goes on to say that while some people don't like removing the original sound effects as it is a part of the original artwork, if the target audience can't read them, then there is no point to the sound effects. They aren't adding anything to the art. Brandon also replied to Aiden saying his preference is whatever he's paid to do, but he wishes some project scope would be taken into consideration when making the decision since not every manga is feasible to do either one way or the other. This was a very good question from Marion that got very interesting and insightful responses from Sarah and Brandon, and I thought they were well worth sharing with you guys before we head into our shoutouts proper. And bringing up our first shoutout proper, you know, we brought up Blade of the Immortal as an excellent example of hand-drawn lettering and sound effects in our discussion, and Crunchyroll had a great profile written by Dark Horse Senior Editor Philip R. Simon, exploring the history of Blade of the Immortal's localization by Torrin Smith and their team at Studio Proteus, including how they came up with the title of Blade of the Immortal, translating it and remaking it essentially in English from its original Japanese title, which does not mean literally Blade of the Immortal. And they also discussed the original release format and how they flopped and reformed of the pages, the decision and philosophy behind that, Tomoko Saito's excellent lettering as praised on our podcast, and overall, it's just a great retrospective on the localization of a great, great series. And an even deeper profile on Studio Proteus themselves was written by Tom Spielman, which goes over the history of how it was founded and how they got work with Dark Horse and on Blade of the Immortal, their philosophy behind flipping pages, and the long-term legacy and impact of the studio in Immortal's localization and its success. It is a great history that really explores Studio Proteus' history and their place in manga localization in the 90s, one of the most popular and seminal manga of its time, and it's an absolutely fascinating read if you're interested in the history of manga localization. For a deeper exploration of the history of comics lettering, however, you can't beat Todd Klein's entertainingly exhaustive histories of comics lettering, computer lettering, and the rise of digital lettering where the award-winning Salmon and Watchman letterer himself goes into great depth 
exploring how lettering has changed and evolved throughout the decades, and how lettering on computers and early digital fonts came to be. The rise of digital lettering feature is particularly insightful because Todd first covers early tools in hand-drawn lettering that simplified and created uniformity in the process, and the aesthetics of different fonts that would come to be defined by different letterers over the years, leading into a history of typesetting, digital comics, and digital lettering, which touches upon work done for early Wiz comics and on Lone Wolf the Cup. Like how David Cody Weiss was the first person to really create common fonts on a computer, and how he pioneered the method of creating common fonts that are still used by many designers today, and developed them in large parts to work on early Wiz comic series like Grey, because the materials Wiz supplied him were too slick, and hand-drawn lettering couldn't be done without coming out really wobbly. And a lot of attention was also placed on Willie Schubert's lettering on Lone Wolf and Cub, for which Willie developed his own font to emulate his hand lettering. And Todd's profile also goes on to explore the origins how several now common digital fonts came to be, as well as lettering studios like Comicraft and Lambot. And I can't understate how comprehensive and educational Todd's histories of lettering are. He is one of the great letters of comics, and with his insights and his passion for the craft, you know, he goes into so much detail and depth on lettering's history in comics way, way more than we could describe on this podcast. And so his profiles, his histories are absolutely essential reading to learn more about the development of lettering as a career from its origins to what it has become today. Todd was also recently interviewed about his career history on The White Space, which he explores his personal history in comics, early aspirations for his style, philosophy on the art and balloon shapes and placement, differences in lettering styles around the world, specific challenges he's had lettering different projects like Sandman and Heavy Metal, his thoughts on transitioning to digital lettering, and offering advice on people who are trying to break in, though on that front, he's sadly advises folks not to try and make a living at lettering because of how low the barrier to entry is these days, and how low the demand is, or at least how low the chances of getting work are because there are so many people in the industry, and even though there's a lot of work, there's not as much to go around necessarily. And also there's the problem of low pay for the work and for the time investment involved in the work. But as pessimistic Todd may be on the viability of littering as a sustainable career nowadays, he clearly has a lot of love and passion and care for the craft and the art of lettering. And interviews with him and his blog Klein Letters should Definitely be on the top of your list to read if you are a burgeoning lettering fan or letterer yourself. And also highly recommended are Drew Bradley's features on the history of comic lettering for Multiversity Comics, which goes back over 270 years, way to the mid-18th century to explore the craft from its origins really in political cartoons in the mid-18th century. And he goes into the history of word balloons as a concept and word in our vernacular, the invention of the Ames guy, the development of comics lettering 
from the 40s to 90s, the proliferation of digital lettering from the 90s onwards. Drew's history covers some aspects of the history of lettering not discussed in Klein's history, while Klein's is more detailed with specific examples of letters and their work. Drew's history is another great reading to learn about the roots and developing of lettering, culture and print media, and comics. And in general, all of the Lettering Week articles he did on Multiversity Comics are great reads, as they have several articles going in-depth on the case for why all caps are the common default mode of lettering in comics versus using mixed case, font creation, word balloons, symbols that are used in lettering, the life of a letterer, sound effects, and so much more he explores about the world of lettering in great detail. Just an incredibly comprehensive series of articles and tributes on lettering that will truly immerse you in the world of lettering from every angle. But if videos are more your speed, Comic Tropes has a great video on the history of techniques in comic book lettering, focusing mostly from the perspective of superhero comics, but nonetheless doing a great job outlining the evolution of the craft. And Vox also did a great video exploring where the idea and the aesthetic of the comic book font, the quintessential idea of the comic book font, where it came from, how the individual styles of different letterers over the years, aided by the consistency of lettering tools, helped to imprint that iconic look, that iconic understanding of what comic book font is supposed to look like on a generation of readers, and how that has continued to carry on and be reflected in modern variations of lettering fonts and techniques today. 13th Dimension also has a great article on 13 things you might not know about comics lettering, which basically explains a lot of basics about what a letter is, what the job entails, why modern lettering styles and careers are the way they are, but one of the most educational points in the article was an overview of a lexicon of terms for different elements of lettering, like squinks and brick marks and road shoes. It's a really solid primer on the craft of lettering. If you want to read something more succinct to get an understanding of what lettering is before diving in to Todd Drew's features. Augie de Blake Jr. also wrote a great piece on the rise of Vizbang as a font, and why it became so dang popular. As the first digital font of its kind, how it really proved the viability of a market for folks like Common Craft and Landbot to come in and iterate upon, and how often it was used on so many different comics projects over the years, and especially on manga, like mentioned before on DBZ, among many others, and whose studio data list the creators of this bang were, where their founders are now. And they link to a bunch more resources to learn more about it from there. It's a great exploration of a font that was trailblazing, influential, and groundbreaking for its time. But that time is long since passed, and it should probably be put out to pasture. Now, for more specific articles on manga lettering specifically, letterer Evan Hayden, who has done great work on many beloved titles like Akira, Land of the Lusters, and that Time and Guardian Incarnate is a sign, has a fantastic overview of its lettering work on many of his series, including the aforementioned, which are great examples of the variety of styles of lettering that different letterers have to adopt for different projects. The OASG also has a great article on the manga letterer's tools of the trade, 
going over different resources, technology, and programs needed for the job, as well as other useful skills like having a sense of visual aesthetics and knowing Japanese. It's a very useful resource list describing all the materials needed to do the job of lettering. And once you have that tool set, K-Possibles has a great video tutorial about how to typeset a page in Photoshop and explaining her process that is very helpful if you want to start practicing lettering through Photoshop in particular. And her channel also hosts a video from KurotsukiCon 2020 called Inside the Manga Freelancer Studio, in which, as Chavez moderated a panel with different folks involved in localization, exploring what they do and the collaborative process, which includes previous guest and translator Jean Cash, as well as fellow translator Molly Rabbit, proofreader Patrick Sutton, our very own lettering king, Brandon Bovia, and it's a very fun educational panel, mostly a variety of different perspectives from folks working in different aspects of mongolization and how their roles intersect and work together. And I've got a lot more interviews and projects for Ukraine lettering king Brandon themselves to shout out as well. Brandon was on a lot of shows last year to talk about his work as a letterer. And that includes talking about Dragon Ball Super with Team Forcer's very own Masako X on his Up on the Lookout podcast. And discussing Kaiju number 8 especially in his interviews with Volume 1 and Jenny Guys Gaming. These are all fun and informative interviews. If you want to hear more Brandon stories and anecdotes about getting the Phantom lettering and working on these different series. Brandon also has started co-hosting his own podcast now with Derek from BitNerd Games called One Piece at a Time, which, like the title suggests, follows the host reading and reviewing One Piece five chapters at a time. They're great analysts of One Piece's characters and storytelling. And Brandon and Derek have great banter and chemistry with each other. And I'm really enjoying listening to the show and really looking forward to following them on their One Piece journey. Moving back to articles, if you somehow haven't been convinced to read Kaiju number 8 yet, I'm going to take a break from lettering to switch just to shout out Kaiju number 8. Because Adam, Arter, Grant Jones, and King Sun just all wrote great pieces about the series for Anime Herald, Anime News Network, and Bot Wido respectively last year on why the series is awesome and absolutely worth reading. They all have very different takes on what makes the series so cool and interesting. Adam focusing on the Kafka S teams and its world building, Grant discussing how refreshing and creative the premises, and Kate focusing on how interesting the characters are. It really goes to show you that there are a variety of ways to appreciate Kaiju number 8 to make it well worth reading, though chief among them, of course, is Brandon's incredible lettering, unquestionably. And if you want even more of that sweet Bovia content, I also gotta recommend Brandon's interview with JN Translations and Jennifer O'Donnell. They go even more into his process and accomplishments and underappreciated work on short-lived series like Noah's Notes, where he had to reletter a lot of handwritten text for different characters with different handwriting styles and spent hours on just a single panel. And JN Translations has a great interview with Sarah as well, going over why and how she developed her lettering software in fonts and what she's most proud of in her work and her vision of the industry's future. JN Translations in general does great interviews 
that really do a great job of profiling different localizers and exploring their backgrounds and career highlights in succinct, comprehensive, and fun-to-read ways. And the full breadth of their interviews with different localizers is highly recommended reading, as is especially their feature on machine translation, explaining what it is and why it's bad, how it's been used and is being used, and how the results often miss the mark and go awry, leading to incorrect and inconsistent translations, to say nothing of automated lettering, basically outlining a strong case for why it drives on the quality of entertainment localization and cheapens the media and the work that localizers do, emphasizing the point that cheap localization and good quality is an oxymoron. Turning our attention back towards Sarah, I once again just want to shout out her comprehensive lettering 101s and tutorials that are by far the most comprehensive educational guides and resources on the subject of manga lettering, and will teach you a lot of what goes into the work of how to choose fonts, center scripts, resize pages, and install time-saving scripts that she and others have developed. And her shout-out Saturday turns are also fantastic profiles of the work of various different letters on different series that are insightful celebrations and appreciations of their great work. And for even more details or advice on the workflow of manga lettering, Phil Christie did a great tutorial outlining each step of his process from receiving and cleaning the files to finalizing and exporting them. He does a great walkthrough of the steps of multiple lettering manga, even as discussed on the podcast, everyone's specific process may be different. Saturday Night Shoggy also did a great interview with Phil regarding his work on Die Dark and how he went about lettering Yashida's chaotic artwork and a series that he was a fan of and enjoyed immensely before even getting the job on it, which was a really fun and informative conversation that, as mentioned, gave a lot of great shoutouts that are great letters, especially Aiden. They also discussed the state of lettering in manga and comparing critiquing different releases, particularly calling out the recent Fist and Northstar release, and why the quality of lettering is affected by the deadlines and schedules the publishers demand of the letters themselves which is an interesting discussion of the state of the industry and how it affects the quality of the work letterers can do. And widen down my comprehensive list of lettering shoutouts is the transcript of the Sweat Roundtable on Manga Lettering from 2020 featuring Sarah Brandon and Phil and moderated by Aiden. The transcript touches upon everything discussed on the panel, including a lettering crash course, on the work a letterer does, like typesetting and retouching and different sound effect retouch styles, experiences working with different publishers and agencies, the workflow among the lettering, and a whole lot more questions and insights on the process. I had the opportunity to listen to this roundtable live when it was first streamed, and it was highly educational, and was what inspired me to want to host a roundtable discussion on lettering on this podcast. And it comes highly, highly recommended. As do all these community shoutouts, and as I've outlined here, there is a wealth of resources out there to learn more about the history, craft, and career of lettering, and I'm glad that even more attention is being brought to discussing the work of manga letterers in particular, and I hope that our own Letterers Roundtable has provided a worthwhile and valuable contribution to this collection of helpful and educational resources. And I hope we'll continue to produce and provide even more spotlights on the work of different letterers and the lettering of different series in upcoming podcasts and profiles now and in many years to come.
And with those shoutouts all shouted out, I wanted to once again thank our guests, Brandon, Ace, Aiden, and Sarah for coming on the show to have this fantastic Letterers Roundtable. It was so much fun. It was so informative. And it's the kind of podcast I hope to do more of with industry folk and guests in the future. Because it was just a great conversation about the craft of lettering, its importance to the medium and the industry, and it's just such a blast. And yeah, but until those future occasions may come to pass, I think it is about time for us to wrap up the show, just dash off. Yeah, yeah. And I guess just to talk about it real quickly, hopefully after this episode comes out on our main feed, you should be able to look forward to our upcoming Best of Manga episode, our annual Best of Manga podcast that we record every year and talk about uh, some of our favorite manga, our favorite moments from our favorite manga, our, our favorite just manga stuff in general, whether that be, you know, industry stories, releases, licenses, and, and once again, just our favorite moments from the stuff we have been reading for the past year. And uh, I will warn you guys ahead of time. Raw recording for that was definitely over four hours, so wish me luck. I'm hoping I could get that down to under four. We'll have to see. But uh, yeah, that should be coming out sometime after this episode. It also might take me a little bit of time to edit, so if it comes out a little late, I'm sorry, but it just happens. We can't ever shut up. That's why we both podcast. <laughs> uh, but um, please look forward to that. I, I had a lot of fun recording that episode, and I know Lum did too, so... That'll be coming up soon, but until then, we should definitely head out of the show here and let you guys know where you can find us, starting with you, Lum. That's right. You can find me at LumRiasha on Twitter. It's LumRiasha to write places like Animation Revelation, Anime List, and Letterboxd. Wherever there's a Lum Lumriasha, that's where you can find me. You can also read my reviews on MangaNerds.com. I get a lot of books and a lot of reviews going out. Look forward to more on there. You can also check out on there the other podcasts I do, Lum Squad, the USA Outsider Focus podcast. I do with my good friend Andrew C. Yoshimura. We discuss the wonderful lucky world of Ruko Takashi's USA Outsider. We have a lot of fun going through Viz's new releases of the manga and talking about the movies. Now they're on Crunchyroll streaming and coming out on Blu-ray from Discotech. And we are incredibly excited to talk about the new anime that was just announced. It'll be coming out later this year. So we have a lot of podcasts planned and we're really excited about our plans and just to talk about the wonderful Wacky World of the USA. So look forward to more Lum podcasts coming out on the Lum Squad feed and you can find that on Twitter at Lum underscore squad and on every podcast platform of your choice like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Anchor, and all that stuff. And if you like the art I make, the animations and illustrations I draw for this podcast and make in general, you can find those on my Instagram at SidArtWorks. All right. But as for me, I'm Colton. You could find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. I also host and produce a lot of my own other podcasts outside of Manga Mavericks, which you can find links to over at my personal blog at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. Over there, if you click on the podcast page, I basically list literally everything I'm doing at the moment, as well as uh, whatever past projects I'm not involved in anymore. 
as well as uh, guest spots like our aforementioned uh, guest spots on the Over Manga cast. So, uh, you know, I try to keep that as up to date as possible. So if you're interested in literally any other podcast I do, that's where you can find them again at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. Uh, but as for Manga Mavericks in particular, you can find every episode at mangamavericks.com. That's where we post every episode first, unless you're a patron of ours at patreon.com slash mavericks. We're at the $2 tier. You'll have the chance to listen to select episodes of the podcast, depending on uh, when we have them ready. Basically, if we happen to have an episode ready before it's supposed to go up on our main feed, we'll put it up on our Patreon first for people to listen to before it's out. Admittedly, you know, that also kind of depends on our schedule and what we have ready at any given point. So if you want more reliable content, you should uh, you should go sign up for our $5 tier. Uh, we're over there. You can listen to a new bonus podcast at the end of every month. Right now, our, our current bonus podcast you can listen to is our yearly Shonen Jump retrospective for 2021, where we got together with our good friend Maxi Bernard of Friendship Ever Victory. And we just talked about, you know, everything we were uh, we've been reading from Shonen Jump over the past year. And yeah, it was a it was a really fun podcast and uh actually for that podcast in particular, you don't even have to be a part of the $5 tier to listen to that one. We actually have that available for only $1. For just $1, you can listen to us talk about Shonen Jump for three and a half hours. I think that's a pretty good deal if you're a Shonen Jump fan like all three of us are. And yeah, again, it was a fun podcast to listen to. I love doing those every year. And, uh, you know, we try to make those a dollar every year to basically make it as available for new and old patrons alike as a big thank you for anyone who's supporting us. So again, you can find all this and more at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. Please support us if you're uh, if you want to, you know, it really helps us keep the lights on and everything. It's the best way for you to support our podcast and, uh, you know, it helps us pay our, our website costs and everything. So if you want to help us out, that's the best way you can do that. Once again, patreon.com slash manga mavericks. But enough about that. You can follow us on Twitter at manga underscore mavericks or on Tumblr at mangamavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash manga mavericks, where we post different excerpts of the podcast as well as some exclusive content every once in a while. Again, youtube.com slash manga mavericks. Subscribe to us. Email us anything at mavericks at gmail.com. Do you have any thoughts on any uh, manga lettering in particular? You know, what are you reading? What do you want us to talk about on the show? Uh, email us anything about manga or the podcast or really email us about anything. We'll read it on the show. We love getting email from you. We love getting emails from you guys. And yeah, again, that's at mavericks at gmail.com. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on so many different platforms at this point, but especially on Apple Podcasts, it really helps the visibility of our show if you leave us a rating and a review. And just to generally love getting feedback from you guys. So, you know, whether it's positive or negative, we want to use that feedback to make the show as good as possible. But all right, that's going to be about it for this episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. This has been episode 187 of the Manga Mavericks podcast. And we'll see you guys next time for episode 188. Bye, guys. Sayonara. All right. And I think that's going to be about it, guys. That's a wrap. All right. Oh, wow.
That was that was oh. a great time. I know it was long, but I had a I had a really good time. Yeah. yeah. Wait, we were recording. I was just like hanging out with y'all. <laughs> what? <laughs> I was like, where are all these questions coming from? This is kind of weird, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. I should do that.